Welcome back, loony listeners. You are listening to Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. I'm up here in the Mooncopter flying high in the air in the night sky. And uh, we have another um, Isla Ra comic books special for you. So, uh, yeah, just sit back, uh, relax, and get your conchu on. Yes, we are still up high in the Mooncopter here, and I actually forgot to mention as well, of course, we have a special guest for our Isla Ra comic book uh, special this time. We've previously had Sons of the Dragon, Connor, and we had Rick, the Rick Ball special, come over to um, talk about their favourite comic books. And uh, as we fly high here in the gaping moor of night, I have right beside me David from Signal of Doom. How are you, David? Hey Ray, hey loony listeners, I'm happy to be here, I'm loving the copter, we're up so high in the night sky. We are, we are, so um, look, I think before we have a good chat Dave, uh, why don't I just open this door, okay, and uh, if we can just um, jump down into that pool below, I'll see you in Red Mansion. Goodbye! See ya! Okay. Oh, that was a that was a refreshing swim there, Dave. Um, did you make it all right Fantastic, through the? Uh, Ray. Yeah, I'm, I'm refreshed. I'm I'm charged up. I'm ready to go. A bit bracing in the night air, man. You know it, exactly. We um we actually went through Moon Knight's secret um Grant Mansion entrance, which a lot of loonies will know. Uh, it's through his swimming pool, down underground, up through his bedroom. So we're actually in Mark's bedroom one, now. I've got one question, Ray. Yes. I've got one question already. Where's yep. Marlene? Is she in the bikini? Is she nearby? <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, one reason I've come to this mansion. I had to leave Marlene <laughs> out of this. I knew that you'd be quite uh, keen to meet her. So uh, she and Mark are away. <laughs> They're away oh, shame. for dinner. Uh, we have the, oh, the ma- mansion. I'm so happy for them. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have the mansion to do it to ourselves. But look, you know, we've got to get out of this pool. Uh, look, here's some here's sure. some towels. Uh, let's dry ourselves off. Right. Uh, let's make our way over to the living room. We'll have a a stiff drink, and uh, yeah, we can get chatting. Hi, this is Phil Parrish from the Caves and Lunatics podcast, a proud member of the collective, and you're listening to Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. I'll have a gin and tonic. Excellent, excellent. Well, uh, hang on. Let me just ring the bell. <coughs> Samuels? <coughs> yep. Hi, oh, Samuels. Yeah, a gin and tonic for Dave. 
I'll have a... Uh, just get me a scotch whiskey, thanks. Neat. Mm. Thank you very much. Where's Frenchie? Yeah, Frenchie's, um, Frenchie's tending to his restaurant um, at the moment with his partner, Rob. So Man, everyone's uh, out. Everyone's out. Well, Frenchie was, dri- <laughs> Frenchie was driving the, um, the helicopter, the mooncopter, so he, he uh, took oh, off. Okay. Yeah, so... Uh, he's yes. a busy guy. So um, he's busy. Uh, the mansion is clear, Ferris Bueller-like, so we can run rampant. But um, except Woo-hoo. for Samuels, of course, he's over here. Um, but sorry, welcome, Dave. Um, as we sit down here at Grant Mansion in the living room, um, great to have you on the show. Uh, a big fan of. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Man, it's a, a big fan. You're, of you're the Orson Welles of podcasting these days, Ray. So you know you're doing these 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 fancy things now. It's so cool, man. You're just building a web, building a web, building an empire. <laughs> yeah, what uh, one, one, one podcast at a time. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been really cool. Uh, obviously, we've been been chatting online, and um, we actually met up. Uh, for a Marvel trivia night uh, not that long ago, which yes. was cool to, to meet for the first time. Uh, followed that quickly. It was cool, yes. It was lovely to meet you and your fiancé as well. She's lovely, lovely lady. Oh, and great to meet Stu as well. Um, Stu, the, the yeah. main man, he's a, he's a the, brilliant The guy. lesser light of Seagull of Doom. <laughs> <laughs> you've, got the, you've got the main star now, so, but there is, there is a co-host that I have as well. Um, but, you know, let's not talk about him, you know. <laughs> Let's keep the attention on on D for you. Yeah, but I mean, it was great to see you at the trivia night, and not long after that, we um, we joined forces at a table at a comic book mm. swap meet as well. So that was really cool. Um, that was on a Sunday. Look, you um, you cashed in, didn't you? I, I didn't I have much up. luck. Yeah. yeah, I cleaned up. I had this one guy who who bought a whole stack of. Um, what was it, BRPD hardbacks that I've never even read or opened? He and was... then he came back a week later and bought all my Hellboy Absolute Editions or whatever they're called, the library editions. Yeah, his finger so was, was on lovely. the Yeah, his finger was on the pulse there. He knew exactly what he was getting and he was almost um like just in awe that you were selling them because uh, they were out of print and stuff. So that was good to see. And there was that little young kid as well that um kept on coming back. Yeah. Um, and what he, a sweetheart! He, I, I, yeah. Michelle and I discussed this. Like, what a sweetheart! Came up, had only read one comic before, and bought one comic, and then I sold him a couple of Spider-Man trades. <laughs> I gave him a kid discount. I yeah, mean, really. They, they call me they call me a capitalist swine, but I actually gave the kid the kid discount. Yeah, and you know what? And I and Michelle <laughs> later said, but you could have given him more. I said, no, he's got to learn that there's like an economy. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's got to learn, you know, buying and selling. You know, it can't all be for free. Oh, you've got you've got um, to ease into. He's got to ease into it. And um, it was really chuffed to have gotten those Spider Mans from. I think that what yeah, his first trades ever. Um, he he went. Yeah, no, he's a good kid. Yeah, he's a good kid. So uh, you know, really good stuff at the comic swap meet. Um, had a good time there. Had a good mm. chat with you as well. Um, but you know, also sure. a whole day with me, Ray. It always takes it out of someone. So you know, <laughs> didn't, didn't you say uh, enjoyed small doses? Didn't you say that, Dave, as well? <laughs> oh, definitely small doses, my friend. Small doses. I'm best in small doses. Even I think that. Oh well, look, we have got so, a whole episode dedicated um, to you, Dave, and uh, obviously we're going to get into your Ilara books. But first off, uh, in front of the warm fireplace here, and with our... Oh, thank you, Samuels. Thank you for our drinks. Oh, Samuels, this is going to go down nicely. <laughs> with our um, with our fine drinks as well. I wanted to actually cast your mind back, Dave. Um, I ask all the, mm. the, um, the guests as well, cast your mind back. 
And uh, can you pinpoint when was the first time that you really got into comics? Just be interesting to know. Uh, well, actually, I, funnily enough, I took a while. Um, but when I was a little kid, um, like, you know, seven, eight or something, my mm-hmm. parents gave me a show bag which had a comic in it, um, which was probably my first exposure. Mm-hmm. It was like a werewolf comic. It was kind of like a horror anthology, real mild horror. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found it fascinating, and I read it, like, so many times. Um, and I got it, like, at the Easter show or something, and yeah. that's my first memory. Um a few years later, I was at an airport, and I was obsessed. Like, I watched the Batman show and stuff, and I yeah. was obsessed and somehow just convinced my mother to buy me a Batman and the Outsiders right. uh, comic. Yeah. Um, that was the first comic I ever kind of got. And then, flash forward a couple more years later, um, I got into it through some friends. I sort of found out more about it, and I bought an Iron Man comic, and that's when I became fully into it like i bought an iron man just randomly i don't even i don't even know why i bought iron man yeah but i did it was there Um, probably that was it it was just there yeah yeah yeah, and it seemed cool um and they probably didn't have spider-man or something and Mm -hmm. and then i just started buying randomly marvel comics and then i got hooked into 2000 ad and i basically just didn't look back and i was probably about 13 14 yeah right and and do you think like with um, so, yeah. that first introduction with that werewolf comic, and you mentioned it, touched upon it as well, uh, did you have any uh, inclinations towards obviously like like cartoons or, or video games that kind of got you into that kind of pop culture related to comics? Or well, yeah. I was definitely interested in the in a very adjacent. Like I was heavily into like especially as I got into my teenage years, mm. I was heavily into um like. Uh, even role-playing games and fantasy yep. books and stuff, like, he- and, I, and, I, and I mean heavily. Yep. And actually, I was playing uh, Dungeons & Dragons with sort of friends who were into comics, and they kind of pushed me in the direction, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. they mentioned it. That's where I found out Judge Dredd was a character. I really do not, you knew nothing. I, I, I almost knew nothing about about like the actual characters other than the most major ones mm-hmm. and but just by being adjacent i just sort of stumbled into it really there wasn't sort of a plan of attack but i even yeah. remember that horror comic that i bought like or, or got given um and the batman so i was i was around it you know what i mean i was a heavy reader as well as a, yeah. as, a as a kid i always have been a big reader so it wasn't it was more just a case of just waiting until that moment where i suddenly realized i could go to the, at that it, back in those days you could still get them at the um in the news agent, yeah. Oh, that's how um, I started. Yeah, for and sure. then shortly after that, as I sort of fully got into Marvel, you know how when you really get into comics, the first time you just sort of like just launch yourself at them. Yeah. yeah so Ray, basically, um, I found out through a friend of mine um, that there was this store called Labyrinth, mm-hmm. and I was really wet behind the ears. Like I just had no concept of of, of what really I was getting into. Yeah. And I went down to this store. And I was by myself, and I just couldn't. My eyes would have just goggled out of my head looking at comics on every wall. You know, like <laughs> yeah. this was like about 1987, right? Okay. And I was a young, kid, you know, and I I just couldn't believe it. Like yeah. it was just like heaven. You know what I yeah. mean? And uh, that would have been amazing. Yeah, and and I saw it was yeah. it was, and I really had no frame of reference. Like I didn't even know who the X Men were. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't know anything about. About, but but funnily enough, one of the first things I got was Wolverine because he had a solo title that had just started. Oh. So it, it sort of went. I was like Iron Man, and then I was like all the other, basically anything I could read in the news agent for free, you know, because I'm in the news agent. Yeah. 
And for about probably a few months, I was just reading everything just, just with no sort of filter. And then I stumbled on Punisher and Dark Knight Returns and then really discovered 2000 AD and sort of then started my taste started the form. Yeah. You know, that's basically how it happened for me. It's a, it's a, um, it's a really slow burn, I think, as when you do get started because it's such a vast universe. And, and as you say, you just got to dip, oh, dip yeah. your toe and, and pick just something, you know, and, and yeah. the Wolverine was, was yeah. the one for you. And then I guess it's kind of like music, I find, in a way. You find uh, common threads in them. Um, say, like Wolverine, mm-hmm. it might have been the, you know, he's, he's, um, he's one of the bad boys, you know, so that might have piqued your interest in, say, The Punisher and, or, or Judge Dredd. And- he was being heavily, yeah, he was being heavily marketed yeah. uh, at the time, Wolverine. And I just, and my friend, who knew who knew a lot about comics had mentioned him, yeah. and, and really that's even how I knew who it was. And I remember I've told this I think on the show before. I think when I was talking to probably Drew mm-hmm. Duracy, um, the comic store guy was just lovely. The owner was just this really nice young guy, yeah. and I read Dark Knight Returns, and it just it blew my mind. And I came up to him and go, I need something like this, more like this. Yeah. And he gave me like this questionnaire, which I don't really remember, and he says. And he gave me a questionnaire of like you know my tastes and what I thought of things and stuff. Yeah, and it was brief. And he led me he led me over to the Punisher, which was Mike Barron's Punisher, and and he said just start here, kid. Wow. And that's where <laughs> that's where it all began. Like, and he was the nicest guy. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Like he really sort of like knew that I just I, I had no idea who was who. Yeah. And, and that's kind of and then and then as I said like after a couple of you know months because you read a lot when you're at that age yeah. um, and I had a had a budget it was small but I had a budget each week yeah. and I started picking up 2000 AD and yeah. that's kind of where I really kind of formed my tastes yeah yeah I mean like he's the guy as you as you mentioned as well he's probably just as passionate enthusiastic and he's just sharing that passion I reckon and it, it's one of those great things I think oh, especially like with comic books and and I guess any pop culture or, or, or any like um you know subculture as well um when you meet up with like-minded uh interested people uh it's really good you do feed yeah. off that as well so uh yeah that's great i mean it sounds very similar to to myself as well um finding my first comic book store and and just chatting with the you know as a young kid as well just chatting um with with them yeah and i was i was very shy and mm. very introverted and you know, I was by myself. Like I was yeah. at a new school. I didn't have any sort of friends or anything. I'm not. Not this isn't a sob story by any means. I actually kind of enjoyed it, yeah. but I didn't have anyone to talk to about it, sort of thing. Yeah. Um. So I kind of found my own way with some assistance from this guy, and then I. It was kind of nice. I was yeah. just in my own space. This is long before the internet. Yeah. No, none of my friends read comics. Yeah. Um. You know, it was kind of a later on they did, but like. It was kind of nice, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, and um, and that's why I do believe. Like, they talk about gatekeepers and stuff. I, I've always been a proponent of if there is that young person um, who's interested, just let them enjoy themselves. Like, like, like really, like that, I mean, the kid at the swap know. meet. Exactly, I can see that reflected. Exactly, exactly <laughs> like that kid. Exactly like that kid at the swap meet, yeah. dude. Yeah, you know, really, honestly, that and that is very much how I was when I started mm. as well. Yeah, and we, you know? we can we can all empathise with how he, what he's going through, you know. And there's a little bit, bit of us, you know, going. Mm. I remember that. That was really cool. And and you want them to experience that kind of same joy and uh, the the same kind of exploration of this whole new universe 
which you know for that kid definitely hopefully that will kick him off and he's got years and years ahead of him of, of uh, enjoyable comic book reading you know um, it's, it's exactly yeah it's quite amazing and it's amazing as well it's what I find and you mentioned it as well with um, there not being the internet at the time and you picking up Wolverine mm. I, I always found that um, you know the, the popularity of Wolverine quite amazing in the sense that he didn't have the mm. exposure like the, even before the 90s X-Men cartoon he didn't have the exposure of say um, Tim Burton's Batman or um, or Richard Donner's Superman uh, yet he mm. he did garner quite a large following, um, and obviously oh yeah he was he was pretty big mm. he was pretty big from memory especially you know? in the nineties as well like he had that big boom oh for sure with the Punisher and Ghost Rider mm. they, these were to Rick um, uh, our last guest uh, we reviewed uh, Ghost Rider Punisher uh, Wolverine Hearts of Darkness which was a a graphic novel um, it's awesome we did, we did it on the Signal of Doom not that long oh, ago you actually. did as well yeah, it's good. Oh, it's good okay fun. I've got a yeah, um, yeah, check that up. But that's uh, yeah, really good. I did it with um, with Dane, Dane Lamont from Punisher Body Count came on, and we did you know we did a, a sort of show together. Yeah, yeah, I remember um, that one. It was a lot of fun. Oh, so you yeah. did it because I hadn't read it yeah. um, until I I, um, I spoke with Rick. So uh, in retrospect, it's yeah, funny. No, that I hadn't you... read it either. Actually, neither I, I read it for the show first time ever, and it's yeah, it's fun. Yeah, like it's John Romita Junior. on art. It's it's good stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah. And and you just picked up. You were telling us you just picked up a John Romita Junior. Massive omnibus of uh, of, of thought. Oh yeah. Um, we'll we'll get bit of an impulse buy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, but that's that's okay. <laughs> um, but also as well, I wanted yeah. to also touch upon um, Dave as well, like mm. your collecting and uh, uh, and your other hobbies, Dungeons and Dragons. It's really it's really funny because um, the other uh, some other loonies that we have chatted on the show with as well, you know, just interested. Ask them how did they get into, um, well, say say Moon Knight because obviously it's a, this is a Moon Knight podcast. A lot of them came sure, yeah. I mean, a lot of them came through via video games, which I find very interesting. You know, so um, yeah. I never would have thought that before um, as well. Uh, but well, I mean, you know, who knows? They might have, they might have played. I mean, I know a lot of um, people who, who like, if you remember Marvel Ultimate Alliance, mm-hmm. was it was a game that was quite big. Yeah, yeah. Um, quite a few people got introduced to comics through that and stuff. Like, it's all there's all sorts of different mm-hmm. routes. The X Men had a few games. Um, yeah, for there's sure. There's a lot of sort of mobile games now that you see people playing to do with the characters. Um, yep. Yeah, there's also there's so many different routes to getting into into it. Like, there's there's about a thousand different ways to get into comics. I find. Yeah, and and it's interesting to to come across people and find out how they did I, I imagine a lot of them these days there'll be a massive slice of of the uh population introduced through the the movies of course and the tv they're, they're just going oh, of course yeah going... and i'm sure marvel and dc wish there was a lot more mm. you know mm. but yeah i mean i, I mean got... I, I have my so... own feelings about that I, I i think marvel and dc could do so much more if they were serious about wanting to increase their comic book audience like i really do oh just throw i think so... that they've yeah throw some ideas what's a well, I mean, simple stuff, um, and I've mentioned this on the show. I saw um, Jimmy Pomiati, um talk about it the other day. Mm-hmm. Pop-up stores at cinemas, uh, giving, like, you know, if you recall just recently, Jason Aaron had an Avengers 1. Mm-hmm. Why not have a digital issue or even a physical issue of Avengers 1 with every single ticket of Infinity War? Stuff like that. Oh, I remember like, you and Stu talking about this as well. That kind of I, yeah. That kind of stuff. I'm not saying it has to be just that, but... That kind of stuff. If they're serious about wanting to increase, um, yeah. also I think the pricing is just way too high. Oh yeah, I, sure. already I think like these companies they're backed by Disney and they're backed by Warner Brothers, mm. so they've got deep, deep pockets. Yeah. 
And if they were serious, I'm sure they could do so much more. I think it's a crime that DC don't have like the the, the equivalent of Marvel Unlimited. I think Marvel Unlimited's a great service. Yeah. Um, that's do more to promote that though. That's got to come um, surely. I would be. You reckon? Yeah, yeah. St- stuff like that. Like I mean, kind of more targeted promotion. There's very little. It still seems like, you know. Uh, it's it's a it, it is a slow it, sorry a small audience, and they ha- really haven't made serious attempts to go beyond it, and they're yeah. happy to play to a pretty small theater of seats. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. And um, there's so much more. And I'm not talking about like uh, I'm not talking about like sort of like diversification and stuff because mm-hmm. of course they have to do that. They should have a diversified line. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about promoting and marketing. That's yeah. the key areas where I think they fail miserably. Well, I mean, you know? I think I think film and TV has been a massive leap for them. Um, I, I know they're different like studios or departments yeah. within the company, but uh, it's still associated and, and connected with comics. I think I think that well, would... there's, st- there's still massive synergy. And if they were serious about wanting to increase their readership. Not just yeah. their viewership. Yeah, um, they could certainly do a lot more than they do. Yeah. I mean, obviously their viewership's right up there, man. We're talking about readership, though. Yeah, two, for sure. two separate things. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And their their readership is not increasing. Their readership is not increasing at all. And there are some really, you know, the advent of digital has been, I think, fantastic. Yep. I mean, digital Agreed. is just such a great platform. Yeah. Um, so accessible. But I think they could do more. Yep. Yeah. 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 Um, but but well, I mean, as simple as you buy Avengers: Infinity War. You get a you get a digital code. Yeah, I mean or that would. You, yeah. Or you you, you you get a physical copy. Yeah, why not? Yeah, um, you, you know I'm not sure about the logistics, but I think that's a great idea. And I think any, you know I I'm, you know kind of like you as well, and and want to share this passion with um with other people as well because you know we know how good things are. you know there are a lot of bad things as well, but uh, I think the the good far outweighs the bad in comic books. Um, you get some really Definitely. ripping. I mean, you talking about quality. There's there's always been bad comic yeah, books and good comic yeah. books. I, I'm not really even talking about quality. I'm talking about I'm talking about in- expanding readership. That's mm. all I'm. That's all I'm sort of focusing on here. Nothing to do with quality. Nothing to do with what they're selling. Yeah. It, it, it's their targeting and their method of getting it to people that I would be working on. Yeah, no, you know? no for sure, for sure. And um, and speaking of reading as well, what I also wanted to uh, let the loonies out there um, be aware yeah. of from, from Dave. You, you're... Is Marlene back yet? Uh, no, no, not yet. I haven't heard her yet. <laughs> what a shame. She might, she, might, what a shame. she might pop up just before we go or something. I, she I might don't know. pop by. Yeah. Oh, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I was saying, though, with um, for a lot of loonies out there who may not know, David is also a an author as well. So um, I was going to ask you, oh, Dave, yeah, about yes. creating and like because I think that goes hand in hand. Um, I've spoken to a lot of people who love reading comic books and in some capacity they do love to create as well. Uh, your your wheelhouse is sure. uh, novels, I guess. Um, so take us through uh, some of the stuff that you've yeah. been doing. What kind of stuff do you do? Well, I've written uh, and published three novels so far. Mm-hmm. In It's called the Asante series, um, Demorne Blade of Exile, Demorne City of Innocence, and Demorne Soul Fighter is, is the most recent one. Demorne's the lead character. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically... It's the story of this assassin, and uh, she basically she's fighting against uh, these dark gods that threaten to engulf reality. Yep. Uh, that's the basic through line, and she 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 is the head of she's a head lieutenant, and then becomes the head of this this group of assassins called the Innocents. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, it's a pretty cool story. Um, she has a girlfriend who died, and she's trying to resurrect her, and she mm-hmm. she can go between the world we know, Ray. Mm-hmm. And a world called Firethorn, which is like a separate parallel dimension, yeah. and um, she can bounce between the two. And she has 
a few different powers, but one of her key powers is she has this sword that's inside a chest that, that comes out. Oh. That's the Blade of Exile. Right. And um, and also things like her, her in, in later books, um, she has stuff like she has a steel left hand that turns it, her hand can turn into steel. She has powers Ooh. of this goddess kind of thing. Oh, wow. But, like, you know, it's it's been a lot of fun mm. to, to, to do them. Um, I've always been a writer. Yeah. So um, I was always writing, like, a lot, like, all through my 20s. And then I got to a certain age and I started to really kind of like think about what I wanted to do yeah. uh, and I came up with the idea of the innocence and, and the idea of Damorn um, and I've written three books now the first two are sort of one big book mm-hmm. Damorn Blade of Exile and Damorn City of Innocence um, and then the third one Damorn Soulfighter is a standalone and can be read as a standalone mm. um, well, they're all available on Amazon Yeah, uh, that- and I'd encourage anyone who just wants to jump in to, to, to pick up Damorn Soulfighter I think right now it's I think it's $2 okay. uh, on Kindle on Amazon, and it's if you've got Kindle Limited, you know you can read it for free. Yeah, wow. Uh, check it out. Um, yeah, I shared an editor with Chuck Dixon. Um, yeah, I pitched some ideas to Chuck, and he referred me on to his editor, who was very helpful and cleaned up a lot of the. You know, he helped a lot. The, a good editor, I found, is just such an invaluable asset. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, we're we're three books deep, and I'm I'm currently um, in the early stages of writing another one, um, which is going to be sort of kind of a spin off series with the Morn as well. Yeah. Um, that that I'm working on now, and that'll be coming out. I mean, it could be end of this year, early next year. Just depends on on how I go and, and the editing process. Yeah. But yeah, no, we're three books in, oh, and a right. really very enjoyable process. Um, when, when did you? St- and it's great they're out now. Be sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. When when did uh, when did it, you first start? Like when was the first one published? Mm, first one was probably published in 2015. Okay. I, I think. Yeah. Right. Um. Yeah, and I and I, the second. One was public, yeah, because the the first the first two are, are one massive book, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. So we edited 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 it. I think the first one came out in two thousand fifteen. Um, second one uh, in two thousand sixteen, like a few months after, yeah. and then in two thousand seventeen, um, Soulfighter came out. Yeah, right. So yeah, so awesome. Yeah, it, so we're, we're three books in. Always yeah. fascinates me, um, like people that write books as well, because. To me, mm. it's a massive universe that you've got to create in your head, and um, and you've got to keep that kind of up for a for a you know for foreseeable length. You know, we're talking. It's a lot of fun, though, mm. man. Like to be honest, like it's also a lot of fun. Like it's hard work. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but once you've done it, like I really enjoyed writing the third one. The the you know like writing my first book. I'd written the first book about five times, to be honest. Wow. Like I, oh, I, I, I'd done a lot of, I'd done a lot of writing, yeah. man. Like it wasn't like it was my first rodeo. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'd done, I'd written hundreds of thousands of words. Jeez. Um, but it just so happened. I got a through line with the morn and I got, and I got this image of her. It's a pretty full on world. Like I, I, I describe it as, um, it, the third book is kind of more action sci-fi, but the first two are pretty heavy fantasy as well. Mm-hmm. And um, if you like your sword and sorcery, your Conans and stuff, there's a, there's a touch of that. Yeah. There's a touch of, like, crazy sort of Grant Morrison-esque kind of style as well, that, like, a big psychodrama behind it all. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of stuff Lovecrafty and overtones. I, I pack a lot of stuff into the three novels. I really try to have a lot of fun with it mm. um, and, and let it brim with ideas, you know, and action. And, that's, kind of what, that's kind of what they're all about. Yeah. And, and you know the beauty, I guess, of novels... Um, and, and, you know, having such a vast canvas like that is that um, there's so much detail put in it that 
look, hey, I think you've mentioned to me before as well the potential of converting to a graphic novel or even picking up, like, you know, I think also opportunities to pick yeah. up as a, you know, TV show or movie or whatever. So a novel is, is oh, quite sure. versatile in that sense and it gives you a great springboard. Um, you- and that's kind of what I wanted to do, Ray. Like when I started writing them, the, when I, years ago, yeah. okay, when I started writing the first book, Blade of Exile, I was writing it from memory as a comic. Okay, mm. and I kind of had an artist that I that I'd done a little bit of work on, it's not stuff that got published, but we'd done like a couple of issues of this and that kind of thing. Yeah, and so I was writing it in, in comic book format, and I had a holiday mm-hmm. um, with my girlfriend, like so I'd been writing for you know let's say two months. Yeah, and then I suddenly realised while I was on holiday, this could be so much better as a novel. I could give it some deeper layers, wow. but I could also pitch it to make it whatever I wanted to be. Yeah, so I could easily sure. convert. Um, them to graphic novel format, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and that's just kind of it was kind of an epiphany I had, and it really freed me up as well. Mm. Um, it was a massive undertaking, though, and kind of like to to actually say yeah, the, to yourself, the, the, look, you know, look, I'm going to turn it into yeah. a novel. That's a, a big thing. Well, you know, it was early days, mm. man. It was early days. Like, and, and as I said, I'd done a lot of writing before, yeah, so yeah. I'd been writing novels, you know, since I was like twenty, yeah, right. basically. So it, that wasn't a problem, mm-hmm. you know. I, I, and I had like, say, probably sixty pages, okay, um, enough for about two, two comics. And I, so I converted that. That wasn't hard. Mm. And I, and I have copious notes. I'm a big believer in in doing notes on my phone. So I have quite detailed notes and scene ideas that I want. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's really taking me back to the first two books. They were a kind of labor of love. Really, they took a lot out of me. I was. A, I was absorbing a lot of material at the time, like other fictional material, mm-hmm. you know, and also kind of cruising on my imagination, really kind of going deep inside. Yeah. But then when I got to the third book, I felt like way more experienced. Yeah. And I felt right. like the, the first two had kind of almost been, not a practice run maybe, but like I just felt a lot more confident. Yeah, you'd learned a lot. And the third one yeah. was, was, the third one was so much easier and more fun to write. And mm. most people say it's the best one. Like, I mean, it's the, it's the best reviewed. Okay. Um, it's it's the best selling and 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 I wrote it as a standalone. So I always really encourage people if they want to check out my writing, check out the Monster Fighter yeah. and, and and you know oh, enjoy. Yeah, we'll definitely put this in the in the show notes as well. So any loony listeners out there sure. who are keen, and I know there are Thanks, a fair man. few of them that uh, are really into like like fantasy novels as well. So um, yeah, for sure we'll we'll post that up cool. there um, and uh, we'll give you the the right links to to get. Those um those books yeah that's really cool Dave that's well um... thank you Ray I'm glad I came over <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah not not so spooky in this mansion after all yeah so um... <laughs> no that's uh no that's fantastic um yeah I'm going to throw it out to you now Dave I don't know if it, you've been asked this before sure. as well but if you had thoughts about say okay. turning it into a graphic novel who would your um wish list be, well, what would your wish list be for say for the artist who would you like to see written uh, drawing it oh sorry okay like to, to, to draw yeah, it yeah 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 if um, you could get anyone oh okay um well I mean look just over the last day or so as we've been preparing for um the best of I was one of the comics we're going to discuss Frank Quietly did some artwork I love Frank Quietly's art man mm-hmm um, if you're talking about I could pick anybody at all. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so if Frank Quietly, I mean, yeah, I'd love to see Frank Quietly do some stuff with it for sure. Someone like that. But I'm pretty flexible, dude. Okay. So was he uh, was he in the Invisibles? No. 
No. Yes, he did the Frank quietly um, did the Invisibles uh, yeah, artwork, very, and he um, also did things like um, Superman, All Star Superman, right. lots of things he's done. Batman. Well, it's the yeah. first one I've seen. Up, but I, like, these yeah. are one of the books that. Um, sorry, Looney's is one of the books that um, Dave has picked. We'll get to soon, but uh, yeah, the art's sure. really um, really distinct. I find, and it was uh, really nice, really nice stylized look. Yeah, and there's a lot of artists like I'm picking him at random, mm-hmm. uh, Ray. There's a lot of artists that I that I find such a pleasure. Um, Rob Liefeld, like, like Doug Mankey. <laughs> Doug Mankey, okay. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, he has his he has his fans, and uh, you can't deny the guy's success. I'm always pleased to see how happy he is. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, but like someone like Doug Mankey, that mm-hmm. kind of style art. You know, I love. There's a lot of different art styles that that I actually really like. Yeah. Um, and. I could go a lot of different ways with with what kind of art I would like in a comic book um, because I think that's one of the joys of comic yeah. book um, mm. reading, the, the 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 different variations. I don't love all art no. that comics have, but you know, there's so many different ways you can go with it that I think is really cool, yeah. and they, it really adds to the story. Oh, um, and the and the sort of like interpretation. Absolutely, and I think um, the right mm. artist with the right sort of story when they go really well together. Uh, again, there's uh, yeah. one of the books that we'll be reviewing coming up soon, uh, which I found so, uh, which was the the Sandman book. Um, I found oh, yeah. the art and the type of story that Gaiman wanted to tell was was really well mm. suited. Um, so, uh, oh yeah, yeah, so. very much agreed. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, before we get into that as well, just one final, actually, um, big question I wanted to ask you, David, as well, and and um, sure. and I'm sure listeners are no strangers to to your show my thoughts on the afterlife no 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 <laughs> uh your thoughts on the signal of doom so dave dave finn and main man Stu, who Woo! we've mentioned before podcasters are doing are you asking my thoughts on the signal of doom i love the signal of doom. <laughs> it should be compo- it should be compulsory in schools <laughs> yeah oh yeah your thoughts as well but um more so yeah just the 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 origin of it how did it come about um, tell the uh, the loony listeners how you know sure. Stu. You know, how, what's sure. the genesis? Well, Signal of Doom is just to let everyone everyone know if they haven't heard already, <laughs> and um, I'd be surprised if they haven't. But <laughs> Signal of Doom is a is a weekly show uh, podcast that I do with my uh, close friend and co host Stu. Um, we've been, I think, we're up to. Oh my god, I'm not sure. I think it's episode sixty four. Mm-hmm. I think is the next one. Plus a, a few specials I've done as well, interviews, um, and basically it's a comic book and comic book um, movies podcast. We focus a lot on um, you know different you know basically pop culture yes. news we do, and then we do uh, comic book news as well. Uh, any scandals that happen through the week, <laughs> through the week, we're always keeping keep for a scandal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, sometimes yeah, scandals that I've generated, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> Random rants, generally from me, yeah. and then we do weekly comics. We select um, DC are kind enough to give us their digital mm. comics each week as our image, um, you know. And we then we go through um, a selection of weekly comics, generally four or five weekly comics coming out. We do, you know we discuss them and review them, and then we do a trade of the week. Yeah. So, for example, this week coming up, it's Thor by Dan Jurgens and John Romita Jr. Volume One. Mm-hmm. We're doing. Um, yeah, and we discuss it, and, and in between that we banter. And Miss Stu and I are old friends. We both played a lot of tennis. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, together. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the banter, so, you know, the banter is really good. It's one of the, uh, I think, one of the highlights of the podcast as well. Also, um, the uh, bone of contention, I think, um, 
between who picks the next <laughs> trade of the week. Uh, I know you both. Oh yeah, it's I, a I would say standing. Uh, yeah, you have polarizing um, tastes um, in comics. I know. Oh well, I mean, look, I mean, it, it's actually pretty easy. Like, yeah. really, we have a lo- we have like a big Google document that has all these books on there, mm-hmm. and generally. Honestly, there's very little arguing that goes on. It's more just a case of placing books so that yeah. they match up with movie dates, and then yeah. you know we sort of we sort of just do one off one on <gasps> with each other. Like there's very little. We we always like to make it sound a bit more exciting because some occasionally there is like Stu really enjoys his cosmic yeah. Marvel stuff, yeah. which personally. Personally, I mean, before this podcast started, I wouldn't have gotten out of bed to read any cosmic Marvel. Like, frankly, I'm a Punisher guy. You know what I'm you saying? Really, and Stu's got some. Yeah, you enjoyed the you know, the Nova um, series, though, which was yeah, I did, yeah, I did. Of course, I did. Like, yeah, yeah, I know. Stu, well, Stu got a few wins, you know, in his in his 64 episodes, he's had a few wins. But it's always good when we pick one. The thing to, that happens that's always really funny is when someone picks a book. Yeah. Because generally we're picking books we haven't read, mm. um, and then it just bombs. You know what I mean? And oh. then so then it's just it's on your resume forever as a black mark. Yeah, you have to actually, and you actually have to go <laughs> through the damn the book as well. You know, uh, you have to re- uh, yeah. relive. There's it. been a couple of books where we're just like, oh my god, will this ever end? Yeah, you know, like. Yeah. But no, we've we've we found our groove. We've been going for over a year now. Mm. Um, and yeah, we, when we started, we were doing like phone book sized editions, you know, in a week, which is hard. I know, know that because we're both obviously yeah, working. I, uh, I remember that and I could not believe you guys were trying to review 450, 500 page <laughs> books in a week. I was going, oh, you guys are going to kill yourself. I'm generally the blame there. I'm generally, I'm generally the one to blame because my eyes are a bit bigger than my tummy <laughs> and, um... And I get a bit excited, and I'm always generally trying to push these like phone book size Punisher, you know, <laughs> books through, just trying to kind of get them through Parliament before yeah. before Stu realizes what's up. Um, but um, no, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. can you um, give a, a hint as to uh, maybe trades coming up that you have? Have you projected ahead? Yeah, I mean, I've we've got a we've got a long list of, of stuff coming up. We're going to be doing. Um, some of the books we we're discussing tonight. There's going to be some Sandman coming up. Awesome. There's going to be Invisibles. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I've actually got a Google document here. Yeah. Um, oh, just to give. Yeah, I just thought it'd be great to give. Yeah, the stuff like a, a stuff taste. like, for example, we're going to do Cree Cree Skull War. Mm, is coming up. Good. We're going to do Dark Phoenix Saga. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we're we're constantly searching for a good Star Wars comic, and so far we've we've, uh, we've gone two out of two kind of fairly forgettable ones. Oh well, maybe um, maybe I've got a Punisher. Yeah, I, I was yeah. just about to say maybe one of the loonies can drop a line and suggest a. If any of oh, the yeah. loonies love a um a Star Wars comic or a trade, maybe uh, hit us up and maybe we can suggest that. Yeah, today. let us know. Let us know. I did this call out on the show last week. So far, we've done Star Wars: The Knights of the Old Republic, which was just a bomb. <laughs> and then last week we did uh, Star Wars: Shadows of the Empire, which was okay, Ray, yeah. but it was nothing fantastic. Okay. Um, but we've got stuff coming up like Moonshine. I'm going to do some Hundred Bullets. Ooh. Um we're always up for Batman. Batman, we've been doing Batman Nightfall. We've had Chuck Dixon on the show twice, yeah. um, and he's going to come back on very shortly. I've got actually got a few people coming on shortly. I've got um, guys like Frank Terry and Jimmy Pomiati are coming on the show shortly. Oh wow! I'm, I'm actually lining up Frank. I'm actually lining up Frank Terry um, for um, an appearance very shortly. Wow. Um, you know, so we've got people coming up. I mean, we've got all sorts of stuff coming up. Man, we're going to do some Paper Girls. Uh, as I said, we're doing Thor. Mm. Um, Dave's going to take a trip back in the time machine. We're going to do Batman and the Outsiders, where I'm going to read the first comic that I ever bought. That's just Ooh. kind of a bit of a nostalgic yeah. uh, choice by me. But some, some might say a selfish pick, but I don't care. <laughs> um, 
and, and Stu, and we're going to do some Hellblazer. One thing we've awesome. always wanted to do is Hellblazer. But as I said, Stu's really keen to do Invisibles and Sandman, mm-hmm. and um, and I'm super keen. I, I'm because I I haven't uh, read them recently until we we're going to do them for this show, and it's kind of reawakened my love for that kind of stuff. So yeah, great. That'll be coming up soon too. So there's a long list. You know what comics are like, right? There's so yeah, many, yeah. and that's one of the beauties of doing a weekly show. Um, we, we can kind of just keep cycling through them. Yes, so loonies, uh, if any of the loonies out there are are keen on any of the titles that Dave just mentioned, uh, it's worth hitting up Mm -hmm. the Signal of Doom and checking out their um, their reviews, not only of the trades, but of course of the weekly comics and of the news and reviews of of all things on the TV and in the movies as well. So, um, It really should be compulsory listening for the youth of today, I (laughs) In the syllabus? Should be in the syllabus, I think. (laughs) Should be in the syllabus, yes. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, um, before we head out, Dave, as well, and I know you're itching to meet Marlene. Um, but I am. I hope she's in the bikini. <laughs> she might be in her squeaky velvet. I, I don't know. But um, yeah, before we go into that, I want to start talking about now your Isla Ra comics, which, aka, yes. are your Desert Island comics. So the the comics that you yes. would take with you, four of them only. Uh, to a desert yeah. island, and that would sustain you for your your term there, um, happily reading and rereading them. So you gave us mm. um, actually a few honourable mentions before we get to the big two, uh, and let's sure. start off with. I mean, we'll go through these just you know quite um, uh, you know quite broadly. Uh, sure. But your first one was the sand. The sa- I'm going to pick start with the Sandman. Um, Number eight was it? Uh, the the first. Oh, honorable uh, mention. Yeah, honorable, honorable mention. mention yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. honorable mention yes. with the, sa- the Sandman issue eight mm-hmm. um, by Neil Gaiman. Um, it's the first appearance of Death. Yep. Um, his sister, Dream Sister, in the Sandman comic. Yep. And I, I love this comic uh, so much. This issue because everyone had told me Ray. Yeah. Everyone it seemed like in comics had told me to read Sandman. Right, yeah. And so I sat down, and, and I and I liked Neil Gaiman. I'd already read a couple of his books. I was already a Neil Gaiman fan. I sat down and started reading Sandman. And the start of Sandman, it's good, but it's not great. Yep. Like, it's he's finding his feet as a writer. Yep. And then, suddenly, you hit issue eight, and the whole, the whole book and everything about it, it raises like five notches, and it's just so good. Mm. And... That's where I went, you know what? This isn't just a good comic. This is a great comic. Mm. And I was a Sandman fan from then on. Um, and I think this is just such a great issue. It's basically the appearance of his sister, Death, yep. who's one of the great supporting characters in this um, Sandman you know, series. And yeah. uh, I just loved it. I yeah. Thought, uh, and the only reason it doesn't... I, I, I had a rule, Ray, when it came to picking the Desert Island comics. Because yep. Stu was saying, I guess it's going to be four Punisher comics <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And... Four or three Punisher, one one Batman, or something like that is what he was saying. Yeah, yeah. But I, I said each character mm-hmm. only gets kind of one comic. You know what I mean? Mm, okay. And so cool. I had to choose between my two favorite Sandman issues, and yeah. this narrowly misses out. But I do want to give a special respect to um, Sandman issue eight. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Look, we won't go into it in detail like the others, but um, sure. yeah, it it is. Uh, I was fortunate enough exactly like you david it uh, just sounds so familiar uh, everyone kept on telling me yes yeah, sandman 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 earlier this year i uh, went to the library yeah. which was um which 
had the uh, first trade of Sandman. So I think it was. Yep. Um, yep. I think it was yep. issues one to eight. So this was the last one. Sure. And yeah. Yes. It is. Yeah. It is. I think this is the last one in the in the first trade. Yeah. And exactly like you, I found it at first. I was reading it, going, "What is really good?" I mean, I enjoyed uh, Sam Keith's art at the beginning. Um, but yeah. it was a little slow for me, and I was like, "Oh, I don't really see it." But it was only the last few issues. Like it was, it was issue eight definitely, and I think it might have been one or two yeah. before it as well. Where for me, it was starting, definitely, yeah, definitely, it was starting yeah. to come together, and I was like, "Oh, hang on!" And mm. this eight, I mean, it was so good how they ended up ended the trade on eight because this is quite a punchy issue. And uh, I, it shows you how fast Neil Gaiman evolved, though, because mm. he was a fresh comic book writer, like. So, I mean, his writing was evolving that fast. That's mm. how talented the guy was. Oh, he was yeah. finding his feet, and then suddenly he comes out with his issue by issue eight, yep. and it's an all-time classic. It is a very you know, like, cool... People could write their whole careers and not get close to this. Yeah, and um, look, you know, we're not going to go into detail, but uh, I like sure. the whole the whole uh, motif with actually that, that little girl with the, with the ball, obviously um, uh, talking about death as well, and, and she... You know, she's playing with the ball, and it keeps on coming in, in and out of the story between um, Morpheus and, and yeah. Death talking. Uh, the art is really, really cool as well. Uh, it's very emo, you know, very goth. Because um, <laughs> this was... Um, but that, but that's the character of Death. Yeah, that, that is. That yeah. is Death. Yeah. She was like the hipster goth chick of the 90s, basically, like, you know. Exactly. And uh, um, and we'll that, see it later that was on. kind of a character. Yeah, and we'll see it later on with your, your other pick um, with... With, I guess, the trends throughout the ages of Morpheus, you see him as well, the way he appears, yes. which is really yes. cool. But yeah, this was um, this was a really good, um, really good book. And what I thought, Dave, as well now, as um, as opposed to what I've been doing previously, uh, I think because these are your sure. Desert Island books, so there's no real need for me for me to like market because they are your books, you know, and and like they're your sure. favourites, so. Uh, look, don't get me wrong. I do yeah. love this issue as well. But um, what would you give this uh, out of five crescent darts? What would you give this issue? And and you know, just just yourself, not myself. I'd give it five for sure. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Well, right. the, 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 the the issue. Yeah. Mm. But yeah. Yeah. But I wouldn't. I yeah, wouldn't have yeah, brought it to. The, I wouldn't have brought it to the table if it wasn't close to a five. You know, for me. Yeah. So. Okay. No, I love this yeah, issue. Good, good. I, I love death. To, to be honest. Ray, uh, I absolutely <laughs> I love, love the character yeah. of Death so much so that, uh-huh. like, uh-huh. yeah, she's a five, basically, straight away, out of five. Yeah, yeah for right. sure, for sure. Well, I mean, <clears throat> it has piqued my interest, sorry, <clears throat> has piqued my interest because um, I actually haven't picked up the other trades, um, and I did read issue 13. Um, oh, issue 13 so is fantastic. Uh, Sandman only gets better. Yeah. Sandman, look, it has some down issues mm. here and there in, like, its 75-issue run or whatever. There's a couple of issues that are a bit... You know, I, I don't know, just not yeah. all there. But overall, yeah. this series gets so much deeper and cooler the more you get into it. I've yeah. only read it through pretty much twice, uh, almost one and a half times, and I'm due for a, another read-through, which we're going to do on The Signal of Doom. Sandman is is a, is a cool. comic that just gets better and better and better, and Neil Gaiman wow. totally sticks the landing. So yeah, it's a highly recommended. And, and I mean, I, I'm the la- you know millions before me have recommended it. So I'm not saying anything revolutionary, yeah. but you know, I agree. No, no, for sure. No, it's always good to hear. And like, I, I think that one of the other takeaways is that uh, I read because at the beginning you see him interacting with the rest of the DC universe, and I think yes. they dropped that, which was a good thing. Oh yeah. Um, I don't yeah. know if, if any more characters come out later, but uh, hardly at all. Uh, there's 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 yeah. one or two yeah. illusions throughout the whole run from my, my memory, and I and I'm not a Sandman expert, like of every issue, 
but pretty much he's mm-hmm. in his own pocket. Do you know what I mean? There's like an early John Constantine yeah. appearance. Um, this there's an echo towards the end without spoiling anything, but but really it's its own uh-huh. thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, cool, great. So, um, so Sandman number eight was one of Dave's um, honorable mentions. Honorable mentions, yeah. uh, five out of five, five For out sure. of five crescent darts. Uh, if we go on to another one of your honorable mentions, mm. uh, let me just pick here which one to go in through next. Um, I've got one in my uh, mind. If you want me to say, I've got one in my yeah. head. I actually feel guilty for not. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, no, I honestly feel bad for. Yeah. And it was single issues. It was your top four single issues, which made it tough That's because it. I'm more yeah, of a trade reader, um, and always oh, have, okay. and I always have okay. been, like for many years, mm-hmm. for like the last twenty years. But yeah. one of my all-time favorite trades is Half a Life in Gotham Central, which is Renee Montoya's basically story. Um, and Ren- ah, this is the Renee Montoya. Renee Montoya is about. one of my okay. all-time favorite characters in comics. And I feel really yeah. bad that I'm not including um, an issue, but I really find it hard to single an issue out of that whole run. I love Gotham Central, but I do want to say, as an uh-huh. honourable mention, the whole arc of uh, of Half a Life, which Greg Rucker did when he and Brubaker did right. Gotham Central, it's just so good. And I would honestly recommend oh, if wow. anyone hasn't read it, you know, and likes like Greg Rucker and you know, kind of the kind of stuff he does. It's such a good mm-hmm. storyline inside Gotham Central. I think it goes for five or six issues. It's just so good, and I feel bad for not actually including it here. But you know, oh well, I'll, you know. Is it is it a nineties or is it late eighties? Um, well, they you did know the era. Yeah, they did in the early two thousands when Greg Rucker and Edward Baker okay. were working together at um, at DC. So it would have come out in the. I'm okay. not sure exactly what year, but like the early 2000s, probably around 2003 ish uh-huh. or something like that. It was towards the end of Rucker at DC. Um, and okay. Ed Brubaker there. So it was around 2003 to 2004. It was somewhere around there. Okay, so so we've got the early 2000s. Uh, I'm looking here, Sandman 8, you got another honourable mention, 1997. So we got towards the end of, of the 90s. Oh, Sandman, there. Uh, um, Sandman that- was more like late 80s, man. Uh, Sandman finished. In about ninety six or ninety seven, but Sandman eight oh, would have okay. been like late late eighties, oh, yeah. like eighty nine ish somewhere sorry. somewhere around there. Yeah, you're right. Eighty nine, August eighty nine. Sorry, yeah, I didn't read August. it then, but yep. that, um, that's when it roughly would have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, yeah, spot on. Uh, okay, so you squeeze another one in there. That's all right. So uh, Half Life, which is good. Oh, it's good. Good um, story. You also have. I'm going to have to lean on you for this one, Dave, because sure. I haven't it? got it. I think you mentioned there was only a hard copy. ABC. Oh yeah. Warriors. Yeah, that, this is. Um, take us through that one. Okay. Well, you, well you, I'm going to have to bring you back into the mind of like a 13, 14 year old Davy. Okay. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm at a new school. I'm reading 2000 yeah. AD, and it's basically my life. Like Judge Dread for me was just everything. Okay. Like as a as mm-hmm. a, at that age, and and you know. Zero friends, zero people who read comics. It was just Dave in 2000 AD, and to be honest, I was fine. You know what I mean? ABC Warriors are this cool... It was in the first issue of 2008 I ever bought, actually. Um, This cool band of kind of robot... Well, they are robots. Kind of war robots, I guess you could say. Now, Simon Bisley, you might know him, was the artist. He went on to do Lobo and stuff. Yeah, and this was kind of his... This was kind of his... uh, May have been his first work at 2000 AD. Um... And anyway, they're all different robots, and they all have different personalities, but there was one of the robots, and his name was Joe Pineapples, and he's an assassin, and he was as cool <laughs> as they come. He yeah. 
none of them were heavy on emotions, and he had almost no emotions. He was just an, a hit droid, basically. And he had a massive leather jacket, had awesome art by uh, Simon Bisley, and wore sunglasses. And this yeah. issue is basically 2008 was, if people don't know, it's kind of an anthology comic where stories generally run from, you know, at least back in those days, they ran about seven or eight pages. And mm-hmm. it would be in parts. So this this was in a story called The Black Hole Saga, which ran for like, say, 20 parts. But each part, mm-hmm. unlike um, a DC or Marvel comic, which is generally like 20 to 22 pages, these were only eight pages. Yeah. So it might go for 20 oh, parts, okay. but it was only eight pages per part. Um, yeah. And this black in this Black Hole Saga story, this particular one is just Joe Pineapple's going off on a mission of his own to kill this person. And it's kind of his interior monologue combined with Simon Bisley's beautiful art. And it has this really oh, great... Oh, his art's beautiful. It's fantastic. Yeah. And it's black and white. Yeah. Okay, back in those days. 2000, back in those days, was primarily a fully black and white comic. Um, yeah. And it then became full colour, but this was just the last days of it being black and white. And Joe Pineapples was just the coolest guy. He went out, and he, I remember at the start of it, he goes, it's nice to get away from all the others with all their petty arguments. I find it all just so uncool. And this picture of uh, Joe Pineapples <laughs> from the back... And then he goes on the mission and he comes back and he keeps the hearts of the people he kills in this chest locker. He puts them in there because he he sort of wants to feel something. And Hammerstein, who's the lead guy, when he comes back, goes... um, And Joe Pineapples puts music on while he's playing. So all through the mission, the doors are playing, like Light My Fire and, you know, People Are Strange and all that kind of thing. And he comes back and Hammerstein, the lead droid's going, oh, Joe, you know, it's glad to see that you want to feel something. And Joe's just like... Look, I just want to have. I just want it to be fun again. These days, and it's a picture of him shooting someone. Goes, it's just another hit. And I always just loved. <laughs> it's such a beautiful little snapshot. I read it so many times in my teenage years. Like, yeah. I just love the coolness and the aloofness of the character, and just yeah, the, and, yeah. and the gorgeous art. The art just sells it. Like Simon Bisley, yeah. I know he has his own style, and like he became like big on Lobo, um, and yeah. I and it's fun. But ultimately, yeah. you know, he has that style. He did some turtle stuff, but I've always got a soft spot for his art. He's so cartoonish, but I think it was kind of like it's funny. Like he really he peaked really early as an artist. Like yeah. um, he's just an interesting, interesting kind of. He seemed like full, he seemed to come with so much talent to the table straight away. You know? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. I think I know what you mean. Like he. He, he was fully developed, like, quite quite early on. Yeah, and, right? and had a real so, macabre yeah. sense of humour. Like, 2000 AD has mm. a very much a satirical edge back in those days. Like, so, like, yeah. on it, it, these gorgeous pictures of these robots that look so cool. And then he, he he's a big yeah. fan of doing, like, little graffiti tags and stuff. There was a lot there for readers to pick up mm-hmm. on. You know, a lot of little jokes yeah. and stuff. Um, was one of yeah, the I mean, I, really I see a lot of uh, common threads as well. Was this this was before your discovery of the Punisher, right? Um, or, no, it wasn't. Or, it was kind no? of parallel. Oh, okay. Parallel two. Parallel two is, is, okay. is how I would describe. Because I see, it. I see okay. a lot of yeah, I see a lot of like similar traits. Like there, there is, especially in the nineties, Punisher. There is an aloofness to. Oh, him for as sure. Well. Oh, there's definitely um, a yeah. Yeah. Joe, Joe was really funny yeah, actually, because he almost has no personality other than he's really cool. And there's this really funny moment in the comic, and I think I mentioned to you offline, Ray, where they're getting towards mm. the end of the adventure, and they've sort of got to beat like this big monster that's literally destroying reality. And Hammerstein, the lead droid, he's like the patriotic one, goes, "Any ideas, yeah. Joe?" And Joe, any ideas, Joe? And Joe just sneers, which is Joe all Joe ever does. And Hammerstein goes, "Well, Siri's not going to save the world." 
<laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, but yeah. like that's the ultimate. That's right. Joe Pineapples yeah. is just not the guy to go to for the big answers. He just wants to do the hit and get out of town. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he, I think he's got one of the best names. I've yeah, it's a funny heard. name. It's so, it's so uh, random, dude. It's so random. And what yeah. I found out later was the ABC Warriors kind of went through, like, you know, say 10 years of 2000 AD, and they developed the characters a lot in terms of their look. Like, they really modernized the look. And that was kind of the thing with Joe. He he says, when you've rebuilt yeah. yourself eight times over, you're just looking for some sort of variety because he's just that jaded. And, like, I'm a 13 year old yeah, but... identifying with this jaded killer <laughs> droid just completely. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, angsty teenager. Yeah, like, you, you're you're heading into your teens. Yeah, rife for um for this sort of stuff. So, definitely. Um, fantastic. Um, and that leads into oh, actually, before I say that, um, mm. so these that um that issue or series is pretty hard to come by, right? It's not on digital. Oh no, no, it, is that it isn't correct? that. Or, it isn't that hard. Is? You can yeah, you can pick it up on okay. um, you can get it uh. They put all the ABC Warriors collection together on Amazon. Um, in the, the oh, okay. they're called the oh, Mech great. Files, and it's in Mech Files Volume One, which covers like the first say, you know, ten years of the ABC Warriors, and so it's in that. It's okay. it, it's the last story in that one. And to be honest, out of all the ABC yeah. Warriors stories I ever read, Black Hole Saga is yep. definitely the best one by by a long way. It's 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 a fantastic okay. amalgamation of Pat Mills, who was the writer. He was one of the he was the first editor of two thousand AD. Yeah. Um, and Simon Bisley. Like, it sort of doesn't get better. Sort of after that, everything's okay. kind of like a bit of a pastiche, you know, like a, it's almost like they try to oh. copy it, if you know what I mean. But yeah, yeah it was just perfect. Oh, well, that's. Basically. Yeah, that's okay. Well, um, I'll try to be sure to put the um, the correct, uh, the Black black Hole Saga. I'll try to put that in the show notes as well, just sure. so the loonies are directed to the, um, you know, the exact. Um, collection where yeah, yeah. where this issue is that we're talking about. I can send um, you the link for. I can send you the link for the Mech Files. Oh. It's it's called Mech Files Volume One. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Okay, yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll chuck that in the show notes. Sure. Um, and also, finally, um, mm. we're leading up. Well, I wanted to lead <laughs> lead up to uh, one of Dave's. I'm assuming one of your favourite characters. Uh, <laughs> one of the, your your honourable mentions here was for the Punisher War Journal oh, number yeah. forty. I want to say Brilliant, I could have picked cover. so many Punisher stories. I, and there's about five Punisher stories, all one shots. All written by yep. either Mike Barron or Chuck Dixon that could have fit this slot, and it just so happens I picked. It was like a flip yep. of a coin, and good money came up. Um, you, you know, you know. I, I know you're a big Punisher fan, so you might sure. get this. There's one, um, like one really memorable Punisher issue for me in the sure. '90s. Mm-hmm. I, I used to love Ron Ron Wagner. You remember him as an artist? He was uh, yeah. fantastic art. Yeah. Uh, and there was one issue, I'm not sure if it was Punisher War Journal or just a Punisher, but he was uh, stuck in the snow, and it was a one-shot. He was stuck oh, that's in the a snow. fantastic, that's yeah. a fantastic, uh, that, that actually almost made my list. It's a Chuck Dixon yeah, story, yeah. it's a Chuck Dixon story. Oh, from, is it? Yeah, where I think it's called yeah, Sleigh yeah. Ride or something like that, and mm-hmm. where he's on the bus, and the bus the bus goes oh, into the snow. I think so. it's, a, it's in the snow, yeah. There's a serial killer on yeah. the bus. Yeah, it's a great story. Yeah, it's another great one shot. It is. Look, Chuck did. Yeah. Chuck Dixon did some awesome Punisher, uh, and he he wrote some of the best one shots for the character they've ever had. Mm. Um, yeah, that's a yeah. great story as well. I think I think it's called Sleigh Ride, uh, if I can remember correctly. Okay. Yeah. S L A Y. I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah, Sleigh is in like Christmas Sleigh. <laughs> yeah. Oh um, no, I thought I was in double a double entendre. Like oh, actually, you're right. No, you're SLA. yeah, no, yeah, yeah, you're right. Actually, yeah. Um, I'm looking at it now. It's the the one you're talking about is Punisher War Journal 39. So it's the issue before this one, which is Punisher War Journal issue oh. 40. 
So that's, oh, how, okay. that's how close okay. it is. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Well, yeah, I do love the Punisher one-shots. Um, oh, they yeah. were really good. And it's really cool to hear that Chuck Dixon did really good ones as well. This uh, this one that you've uh, chosen mm. was a really fun... I love it. Uh, a, a really fun ride. Can you uh, just quickly take us through this story? I, I'll take you uh, through the story. Now, I've read this story probably yeah. about 100 times um, over the course yeah, of my yeah. life. I love it. So basically, Punisher <laughs> starts out... Um, He's by himself, and he's putting down these hoodlums who've been robbing like um, like liquor stores and stuff, and they've killed people along the way. Mm. And Punisher's like track them down, and so it starts out with him killing them um, while they're in a car, and he takes a bullet, and they destroy, or at least they damage his car. So then he he yeah. goes into town, and at the same time that he's doing this, there's, there's, these people are doing like an armored truck heist. So like mm. you know, I don't know what you call it, like armored truck. They're, they're heisting one of those trucks, and they. They kill yeah. the the guards, and then there's this woman there, and she then betrays the leader of the robbers, who's a guy. I think his name yeah. is Big. He's just he's a psycho, yeah, and but is. she's he a cold is. unit, and she so she, she blows is. him away, and she's then she's running down the road with her with her little um offsider, and then she decides yeah. um let's div- let's make things even simpler. Let's divide the cash by one, so she blows away yeah. him, and then the car yeah. crashes. And so she takes all the money and she goes into town and Frank's in town um, recovering from his wounds. And you're treated to yep. some of the best scenes with Frank alone in the uh, hotel room where cause hotel, he's taken yeah. a bullet and he's just talking to himself like in his head and he's saying stuff like, yep. um, that's not going to make up for what happened to those kids. It's not going to even the score. I know. I know because I can never even the score of my, for my family's death. There's a reason I was left alive when they died. If I didn't believe that, I'd lose my mind. Lose my mind. That's a good one. And Frank just one. got <laughs> a gun. It's just, he's just... I love it. I love the way um, Chuck does Frank, where he's like... He's he's lucid, and he's kind of a bit sarcastic, but like he's just this... Mm. He's, he's like a dark soul. You know what I mean? <laughs> Very dark soul. Yeah. He is, You cannot brood any more than Frank. Yeah. Really. He's just... And his <laughs> commentary is just super like dark all the time. Um, anyway, yeah. so this this chick rolls into the diner, and you know she's she's trying to get on Frank's good side by sort of being a bit kitsy pie around him. She's he's not really buying yeah. it. He's seeing his tr- his um you know his cars in the shop, but she's got all this cash, and so mm-hmm. he, he he like sort of like Frank always has a soft spot for women, um, yeah. and he lets her drive along with him. And at the same time, the guy that she killed didn't actually die, and so he's trying Big. to track down yeah. this woman. Yep. And so Frank's driving along, and then out of nowhere pops up this other car with this... I love this bit. This guy pops up with this machine gun, and Frank's like, is that your boyfriend? Because she, she spun this story about how her <laughs> boyfriend left her. And then he's like, yeah. no way of knowing who these guys are or who they or how they found me. I have armies of scum that want me dead. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Frank's but just like, I, 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 someone's after him. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I love it because it's totally mis uh, he's misconstrued the whole thing, you know. Yeah. He he believes it's it's him that they're after. Yeah. And and he wants to protect her, which is so, you know, warped because we yeah, know well, that she is a cold I actually killer. spoke about I spoke to Chuck Dixon about this issue on the show, um and I I sort mm-hmm. of mentioned it and he said it's because basically to Frank every woman is his wife who he couldn't save that's why weeks mm. his weak spot is women like it's not that he desires them he wants to protect them because he couldn't protect his wife yeah 
Yeah. Which I mean, is it kind of makes sense? That's kind of the character. Yeah. I mean, people might say that sounds yeah. corny. That's the character, man. Like this is the way no, Frank lives is. his life. Yeah, totally, totally is a character. But unfortunately, he's protecting the wrong sort of woman here. No, this this woman is a cold-eyed killer. And anyway, yeah. so basically, what happens then is like the, the cars sort of crash into each other. There's a whole lot of stuff going on. Frank, you know, sort of manages not quite to get wiped out by a Mack truck, and they they yeah. crash. And he's kind of wounded, and he gets up, and, and the, the girl's got up before him, and she's gathering the money, and then the guy comes, who she didn't kill, and he's like, Earlene, you've been a bad girl. And Frank's still thinking that she's, he's like, she's standing in the line of fire, helpless. He still sees her as totally yeah. innocent, until, yeah. until the woman <laughs> just drops the guy with like this point-blank um, isosceles stance, Frank calls it, and yes. then... Frank's like the realizes yeah. the penny yeah. finally drops, and he's like, "Leave the yeah. money, and you can walk away." And she's like, "You saved yeah. my life. I owe you, whoever you are." And he's like, "Leave the money and walk away." Yeah, and and she's like, "You almost want the like cash? a western." Yeah. yeah, oh, very much yeah. like a western. You want the cash? Yeah. You can have it. You can have a whole lot more than that. And he's like, yeah. "She's like, you hear what I'm saying?" And Frank's like, actually got sweat coming out. He's like, "I hear. I got an idea that that yeah. giving that away doesn't mean that much to you." The eyes flash <laughs> just enough, and then Frank blows her away. And then I love this bit where he says, blindsided again, I thought she was Miss America and Snow White rolled into one, right until she Mm. dropped into that isosceles stance and pegged that big guy three in the head. Three in the head, yeah. (laughs) And then Frank sort of wanders back, you know, with the cash. It is... It is so um, I don't know how do you say it? not it's not just over the top but it just like he he drops her with an Uzi as well oh yeah for like, sure well you know, he, yeah. like really makes sure yeah um, there's there's, there's yeah, it, it was, Frank's pretty black and white yeah very black and white and and in the nineties he was the the most black and the most white that you could get uh, very very well and a lot of fun written. Um, by Chuck Dixon, yeah, it's, well. and the he, art's he really great too. The, the art really sells. Art's it as good. Well. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah. It's, I, I actually one of my favourite comics yeah, of all time for sure. Yeah, I, I actually had to double take and have a look who the art, artist was because I was quite impressed with it. I almost got a bit of a um, uh, almost almost a bit of a you know the nineties big like the Jim Lee or a Mark Silvestri. To yeah, him. Stephen Butler, not uh, someone I'm personally familiar with, but um, no. And Kim DeMulder on art. Now, Chuck at that time, Chuck Dixon did a lot of work with Gary Kasperowitz, is how I think you say his name. He worked a lot with him on yeah. Conan. And in fact, he does um, the the next issue of Punisher War Journal called Armageddon Express, which is also very good. And mm-hmm. the, the art's not dissimilar to that style either that Gary Kasperowitz had as well, um, yeah, who right. was a, a collaborator with a lot of Chuck on a lot of Chuck stuff around that time period. They did a long run on Conan together. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean... I think uh, Chuck had, you know, has said he had the fortune to work with a lot of really gifted artists, you know, like, and mm. um, and certainly this well, is no you, exception. Yeah, you did have a. There were a lot of good artists. I mean, despite what some people might say in the nineties, I, I do like um, some of the art there. Of oh, course, dude, I, like uh, some people it, who think the nineties yeah. was full of all bad comics, are basically just foolish and know nothing. You know, like it's ignorance talking. <laughs> yes, of course, there were, there were terrible comics in the 80s and there are terrible comics now. Of you course, know, there are terrible yeah. comics and good comics in every single generation and, and, and yeah. decade, like, you know. And and it's unfair to um, remember a decade for, like, a bad, you know, 
the, yeah. the bad stuff. Um, Do you know, I've read, I've read bad stuff. comics that were written in 2018 this week, and I've read good comics oh, in 2018 oh. this week, you know? Absolutely, like. absolutely. <laughs> There's, um, yeah, yeah, there are a lot of like comics that are uh, a bit mediocre, I think. Um, yeah, but, definitely. you know, having said that as well, there are a lot of really good ones as well. I mean, exactly. what I find, like, when we exactly. live in the now, a lot of people kind of focus on, oh, that was really crap, that was shit, you know? Uh, there, is, there is good stuff out there as well. So oh, there's, there's um, plenty of yeah. good. There's plenty of good stuff uh, being produced now as well. Of course, my point is mm. that like there's no period ever in comics that has been either no. all good or all bad. It's always been a exactly. Mixture. That's the, exactly. that's the industry. Exactly, exactly. and it, and it's what you remember it most from. You know yeah. whether yeah exactly. Um, yeah, great. So these were, and and how much would you would you give this? Oh, this is five uh, out of five, my friend. This is five, five out of five, five all the way. <laughs> I don't, five, and I think I don't I, bring stuff to the table that's not not a quality. So are we? Are we doing five out of five for all of them? You haven't read yeah. this issue. Yeah, all the ones uh, that I, I brought to the table are five out of five. Okay, and I've got to mention also as well because there was a, a run of Punisher War Journal covers which were really beautiful, like this one. Um, they were like airbrushed or something almost. Um, let me see if I can find the. It doesn't this even does have, have it in a the very credits. cool cover. This has this has actually a very beautiful cover. I agree on this issue yeah. of Punisher War Journal. I picked up actually, Ray. I picked up a couple of years ago now the entire yeah. run of Punisher War Journal, the original Punisher and Punisher War Zone. Um, off of eBay yeah. uh, for not even that much money. Yeah. It was just, it's just what it's out of the single comics I have. They're the only single comics I still have, and they're up in my shelf. Um, yeah. And I will never give those away because they're just great. Like I, I love sometimes just bring the box down and I start reading yeah. them. And you know, Michelle's <laughs> like, will he, ever, will, will he ever come out? <laughs> <laughs> this Punisher shell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. All right, well, loonies, um, there you go, the honourable mentions from, from Dave Finn. Uh, we aren't done yet. We actually have his big two to come. So, Dave, I know that you've got itchy feet, this uh, dank, musty mansion. Uh, why don't you come with me uh, down the hall here? Sure. And, uh, yep, as we walk down, I want to turn left into, ah, this room here. This, uh, yep, let's open that door. Okay, uh, yeah, I wanted to bring you into this room, Dave. This, uh, right before us, we have the statue of Conchu. Can you, um... Oh. Yeah, pretty cool, eh? <laughs> yeah, and uh, what I thought... Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Does he need a blood offering or something? Is that what he takes? Well, fun- <laughs> funny you should mention that. <laughs> um, we're we're going to ask uh, our good mate, K-Man, Conchu, uh, if he can teleport us to another destination for your final two books. So, Conchu, are you there? Who disturbs the great Conchu? Hello, hi, uh, this here is Dave, uh, bow your head Dave, bow your head. Hello, hello Conchu. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Yes, hi mighty Conchu, uh, we are here, um, yeah. Dave assures us that he will um, give you your uh, pound of flesh Ooh. and your your bucket of blood I that you want, uh, he, he is a Punisher fan, so yeah, if you could just yeah. um, happily just teleport us away to another destination and we'll be out of your hair, thanks. I will bring you to the place that you most desire. So be it. Be on your way. Thanks, Conchu. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Just don't mind the vertigo. 
this is Dave. And I'm Stu, and we're from the Signal of Doom. We're proud members of the collective, and you're listening to Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. All right, Dave. Wow. Look where Conchu has brought us. We are actually... <laughs> I think he uh, took me literally... We are actually in the, the Punishers, one of his uh, safe houses here. Um, oh, yes. So, Good. isn't this cool, eh? <laughs> uh, the battle van's gone, so Punisher is out. But look at this a wall of guns here. Like, this is brilliant. Okay, uh, And army rations in the fridge, too. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> look, I'm going to take this uh, this little baby. Yep. Looks like a, a magnum. Uh, oh, watch out, Dave. Oh, I think that was just your shadow. I'll be taking the Uzi. I'll be taking the Uzi. Take, I always like the Uzi. Take the Uzi. Give, the it, give, it a, give it a shot there at the windows. Give it a random fire. Yep. Oh, awesome. Well, we might as well test them out while uh, Frank's away. Okay, well, while we're here, and uh, hopefully Frank doesn't return uh, while we are here, because he gets a bit... He'll be grumpy. Yeah, he'll get a bit grumpy. He's a bit narky. We're playing with his toys. Um, We have your final two books here. These are big ones. And, um, Dave, you're going to have to guide me at least through one of them. I... um, Sure. I was a little lost in it, but um, I can appreciate yes. the um, the greatness of it. Um, the first one we'll go to, I guess, is uh, let's do the Invisibles first. Yes. Okay. Now, Ray, mm-hmm. I appreciate that you, when you said to me um, to do my top four. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Invisibles by Grant Morrison is for me one of the all-time greatest series that I've ever read as a reader and I always The Invisibles is a bizarre series to read and in fact I haven't read it in many years uh-huh. so um, I, it wasn't like I'd read it recently um, And but I, I always basically Invisibles was written by Grant Morrison around the same time he wrote JLA which was about 96 to around 2000 I'm being rough with the times uh-huh. okay yep. so in 2000 and Grant Morrison incorporated a lot of his own ideas and stuff into into this, not only his, even his own life, into, into this book. Yeah. And in 2000, he wrote this final issue set in 2012, which was kind of the year of the... If you remember, in 2012, it was the year that the world was predicted to end. Ah, uh, that's right, yep. By a lot of different sort of religions and stuff. Yeah, there was and, a movie uh, Grant as Morrison's well. always been really... Yeah. yeah, there was a really shit movie <laughs> as well, yeah. But... Yeah. but um. But there was this, this comic was always kind of obsessed with that idea, uh-huh. and he just takes it in such a bizarre direction. Now, what I love is he wrote this in two thousand with his version of two thousand twelve, and so he jumped everything forward twelve years. So even right. when you were reading the series, it was a complete mind trip. This final episode because it because so much had changed. Like the Invisibles was, was, was a really changeable title from volume to volume. Mm. Like Grant Morrison really shifted in tone a lot. Okay. And I mean, this is such a difficult. Basically, to give you the basic pitch, I even I even um, went to Wikipedia to, to get kind of like the uh, basically. There's a character called King Mob, which was kind of basically Grant Morrison himself was the leader of the Invisibles at certain points during the run. And then there's the character uh, Dane, otherwise known as Jack Frost. He's kind of like your POV character. He's kind of the okay. the guy, the, the teenager at the start. And it's his story at the end of the Invisibles, 
um, and basically he he's like the Messiah. He's predicted to almost be like the next Buddha. Yeah. And generally through the series, he's kind of tried to run away from the title, but he embraced it towards the end. Mm-hmm. And this is him basically cradling his friend in his arms who's dying in this, in this sort of weirdly dystopian future mixed with like... It's kind of a mixture of wish fulfillment future and just massive dystopia. Mm-hmm. And The Invisibles was this, for want of a better word, kind of... They're almost like anarchists. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're fighting sort of like... For most of the series, they're fighting this thing called the Outer Church and the Archonons. They're sort of like these creatures that come from outside reality. Yeah. And it's kind of a good versus evil battle. But it sort of becomes more complicated than that. Mm. And you realise that they're just another version of us kind of thing. And right, like, right. there's a lot of stuff about like... There's a lot of themes to do with like... Uh, a thing called the super context, which I never really understood. But it's basically the fictional world. Uh-huh. So Grant Morrison was, was was writing a lot about the relationship we have with fiction okay. and that he has with fiction. Wow! I mean, um, and basically, it's it's a it's a complete mind blow. Yeah, but it is. One thing this book has going for it, this issue, the the Frank Quiley art, it pops, doesn't it? It does. It, that, Would you agree? Yeah, that that's uh, what really stood out for me because only because I hadn't seen something of that ilk for a while, that kind of style. Yeah, uh, and it was very yeah. neat, uh, very very attractive. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's look in terms of story. This is this is not the place to begin with the Invisibles, mm. but I I would say though, I when I'm giving my Desert Island picks, I actually have yeah. uh, all all the the copies in 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 um, you know trade paperback. Yeah, but I actually have a huge omnibus that's massive and. I'm not a big one for signatures, but a few years ago, I actually got Grant Morrison and myself to sign it. Oh wow! And um, yeah, it was at, it was at um, some event. Uh, I forget what they're called. It was at the Opera House. Gerard Way was there as well. Okay, um, the guy from yeah, My Chemical Romance, who then wanted to do Young Animal and stuff uh-huh. in print. I was like a writers festival at, or um, something. D- yeah. Was it? Yeah, it was a thing. Him and Gerard Way yeah. um, doing sort of like a speech together oh, kind of okay. thing. And anyway, so at the end of it, at the end of it, it was really interesting. At the end of it, um, they had signing. And of course, like Gerard Way, rock star, had like a thousand, you know, teenage girls, literally, uh, <laughs> you know, to sign. Yeah. His stuff, like literally. Whereas Grant Morrison, I got right to the front of the queue real quick. <laughs> oh, no. and I had, And I was really sick. I, was, I had the flu. I really just came out of being seriously ill. Mm. And I had carrying this massive omnibus it's huge it's the biggest omnibus I've ever seen yeah. and, I, and I brought up to him and I was just so embarrassed because I'm such a great Morrison fan and I said I was just like thank you so much for all the stories man. great like, stuff I couldn't even say anything more than that yeah. and, he, and he goes oh it's cool dude like you know I just put out I put out the messages and, and leave it to you guys to decode something like that <laughs> he said I was just like oh, man, that's, I was like that's just too cool yeah. and he signed my he signed my book for me um and I'm not a big signature guy, but it actually... I just thought yeah, it was not? just so cool. And, yeah. I, and I'd only just recently finished reading it. Um, but really what I'm saying is, honestly, Ray, if it came down to... Oh, I had to pick one book. Yeah. It, I would actually bring that omnibus. Wow. Because it's that good. Wow. The, the Invisibles is an amazing series. Um, it really challenges you as a reader. Yeah. And I just want to read out the end yeah, of sure. it. Because at the end of it, the end of it, um, Dane, Jack Frost, he basically breaks the fourth wall... But in a really cool way, and he starts talking to the reader, yeah. and he's he's quoting his friend, and he says, "We made gods and jailers because we felt small and ashamed and alone." He said, "We let them try us and judge us, and like sleep to the to slaughter, we allowed ourselves to be sentenced. See now, our sentence is up." And that was the end of the whole series, and pretty much, 
I, I was never huge on the deeper themes, but basically, he was basically saying like the story itself continues on, yeah, and like we are part of the story as we are reading, and then once the story is over, we still have to go on. Like the story kind of doesn't end, but it changes shape. There's there's a whole lot of stuff in the Invisibles, and that's what makes it such an interesting story. And also, can I add yeah. this? Finale actually does tie together lots of different threads from the entire series. Like it's actually quite cleverly done. Yeah. People think Grant Morrison. Some people think Grant Morrison can't tell a coherent story. He actually does, and The Invisibles actually ha- does have a very strong narrative. But he also is very experimental, and he likes to play sort of kind of have fun. There's a lot of fun in The Invisibles. Like it's actually a very fun comic. Yeah. I'm not one of the guys. I'm a huge Grant Morrison fan, but not everything he he's ever done is for me. Like there are certain books of his that just haven't hit me yeah but the vast majority really has but i think this was his purest vision that i've i've yet read i think his batman run is phenomenal um his animal runs also awesome and other stuff's great as well but the invisibles is kind of his own thing yeah and he did cool things in it like for example when he was writing it at a certain point he got really sick uh-huh. And he was in hospital and kind of basically had some sort of skin disease and it was kind of eating away at his face. Oh. And he wrote into... And Grant Morrison's pretty full on, yeah. like, with how he, he interprets things. Like, he's pretty out there. And he wrote into the story that he cured himself of the... Because the character of King Mob, one of the lead characters, is him. Like, yes. it literally looks like him. And, you know, it's designed to be his avatar. Yeah. And he wrote into the story that he managed to cure himself from the story. And then he actually... Actually, the the actual disease went away in real life. Now, call it oh. coincidence or not, that's the kind of vibe... I'm using a really weird example, but that's the kind of vibe he had. Like, it was all about an interaction between the artist and the art, and it kind of got quite... It's quite full-on in a lot of ways. Yeah. But there's a lot of layers to the Invisibles. Um, to come in and not having read any Invisibles, this is a mind trip of an issue, but it I thought is. you'd enjoy it for the cool art. It was you know? it was very good. Um, also, the other confusing thing, Dave, as well, was uh, um, the numbering... Uh, yeah, that, that that is, I just find confusing. For some reason, <laughs> yeah. uh, Grant Morrison decided, like, in the last volume of The Invisibles, The Invisibles were written in three volumes, although, it, confusingly, it's four volumes in trade paperback, in, like, the big deluxe editions, yeah. but it was always intended to be three volumes, and for the last volume of The Invisibles, Grant Morrison numbered it backwards. Yeah. So I think it starts at 12. It goes, goes 11, all the way 10, to 1. So the last one's 1. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, I'm sure there's some reason for that, but what it just makes is confusing. But I guess it doesn't matter if you're reading in trade paperback. Yeah, you know? yeah, for um, sure. And because they're collected properly. Yeah, exactly. And um, look, I'm not sure if um, I'm not sure how much time you've got, Dave, as well. But did you did you want to sure. go through through this issue? Like we can. Um, oh, look, yeah? uh, look. I mean, I, I think the basic concept of this issue is I would say to people, I I'd more like this is the story of. Dane Jack Frost, twelve years later after the main series action, and he comes to face King Mob, and King Mob is releasing a game called The Invisibles, mm-hmm. which is going to basically spread sort of the very thing they were fighting all throughout humanity. Yeah. So basically, the Invisibles, the Invisibles themselves, are the same thing. From what I gather, are the same thing that they thought they were fighting, but it turns out they weren't really fighting yeah. fighting it. Yeah. Right. Like the Invisibles College and. The, the Archons or whatever they're called are kind of different versions of the same thing mm-hmm. and it, it's all kind of like it's almost a joke really mm. um, 
and King Mob surrenders himself to the super context and, you know, he becomes, I think, one with the fiction. Fiction. I think it's something like that. Like yeah. it's, it's hard to describe. Yeah, it is very, um, very hard to describe. It's better read. Okay, but but it's also the story of, of Jack Frost and Dane, who who does accept his role um, and returns kind of to to basically he had this weird encounter early on in the series with his alien spacecraft kind of thing. Yeah, and he he has flashbacks to it at times through the series from memory. Okay, um, but it's it's kind of him accepting his role and like. When he faces King Mob, it's this moment where you realise the thing you thought you were fighting is really yourself. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. And there's not really a fight. That's that's the other part of the Invisibles. Grant Morrison actually has a pretty strong pacifist vibe. Uh-huh. And King Mob at times through the series was kind of like a James Bond character. All guns and action. And like they, they were sort of like the anarchists, yeah. you know, against like this, this weird alien invaders. But then he became a pacifist and, like, he put away the guns. Yeah. And that's kind of the point of it. Like, part of the beauty of this particular issue is it's written around 99, 2000, and it's really influenced by, like, a rave culture and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, they, the Invisibles got heavily, um, you know, quote, the Matrix borrowed a lot of stuff from the Invisibles. And I use yeah. the word borrowed in inverted commas. Yeah. Like, as in, like, basically, like, Grant Morrison was real pissed off about it. Oh, kind of thing. okay. Um... Yeah, like a lot of the sort of they, there's a lot of similar themes, and frankly, they're explored with a lot more depth in the Invisibles comic than the Matrix movies ever explore. Them. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, like so, there's a, there's a whole lot of stuff like that. Like it's not just that King Mob isn't this traitor; it's actually the fact is they were never really fighting anything other than sort of themselves and their place in reality. Mm. Like it's kind of weird stuff like that. Like, and I love the scenes where his friends dying in his arms, and there are scenes where he's he's at the rave yeah. and these kids are just going crazy and stuff like that and, and there's just beautiful scenes and it takes me back to the time and I was reading something from while I was getting ready to talk about this yeah. I wanted to read like I was trying to understand the actual final issue myself and Grant Morris was talking about it and people were asking him and he's saying well the future that I predicted in 1999 for 2012 didn't really come to pass it's become a 90s retro future in itself mm. and that's fine like he was talking about that. He was saying, I was never really writing my exact prediction of what I really thought would happen. Yeah. You know, it was the prediction from the from the from, from the place I was there in the series I was writing, mm. that was what it was. Like it's like we give everything like you know, if we do a if you if we do a movie now mm. about the seventies, okay. Yeah. And, we, and it's a period piece of nineteen seventy seventy five, it's gonna be a different movie than if something was done in like nineteen eighty nine. From about oh, 1975. Yeah, you know, we, yeah, we view the we view the time periods differently from where we are. Yes, like sort of spatially, stuff like that. Like wow. it's you know I'm not <laughs> so, the I'm not the guy who writes the thesis on it. Yeah, but it's stuff like it's actually a really really I rewarding reckon, series to read from the start. Yeah, I reckon you can write a thesis on this. This is um it's quite involved. Well, you know I'm I'm I've, I've to be honest, mate. I did a little bit of because uh, <laughs> I I read it this morning and I haven't read it. Seriously, for like close to ten years, and I'm like, yeah. whoa, there's a lot of information yeah, that I've forgotten. There's so much that you can dive um, into. But, but I'll say this: I'll, I'll put this comment out there. Mm-hmm. Like, there are times when I was reading The Invisibles where I was like, "Are we really here?" Like, I got mm. to that point at one point. It's I a very like, matrix. Are we really? Here? So, like the Matrix kind of you know, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where yeah, you do question reality. Frankly, what I'll, is? Yeah. A lot better, mm. you know, mm. like and a lot more complicated because it's a comic and the comic really lends itself. Grant Morrison in this series really lends himself to exploring those kind of issues mm. while also having a really good time. Like yeah. it's actually a really fun comic. Yeah. 
you know, that's what makes it cool. It's not this boring... I've made it sound really boring. No, no. It's actually a really cool action comic with a really cool narrative and, like, great art. There is, yeah. Like, Phil Jimenez is on a lot of the issues. Steve Ewell's on a lot of issues. Frank Quiley does this yeah. issue. Like, there's a lot of good artists on the yeah. Invisibles. Yeah, and look... And each volume had its yeah, own flavour. no, I was about to say, and, and I think, mm. as you're saying, this story lends itself. You, you really need to... Um, make sure that you explore the whole, like holistically, look at this story as well, because um, definitely, it, yeah. You know, one one issue would be like just a, a thread in this whole tapestry of it. So, um, well, I always th- thought of it like, dude, I thought of this at times in the nineties, like you could drop in to someone's house yeah. and sort of like just randomly, you know, someone you knew very tangentially, mm. and maybe, you know. Who knows? Maybe you do a few cones. Maybe you do some acid. Maybe you do something. You pick this book up. Yeah. No, seriously. Yeah. And you pick, and in this really random sort of like weird way, you pick this book up. It blows your mind. You put it, put it back on the shelf, and you walk out, and you never see that person again. But yeah. there's just been this weird moment of connection. Wow. It's kind of that kind of thing. Okay. Like it's 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 kind of quite it's quite full on in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, that, that's leaning <laughs> far out. Um, uh, and as Dave said, there's no real way to to do this justice without you grabbing the issues itself and giving it yes. a read. It's um... grab volume one of the Invisibles and knock yourselves out, kids. I wouldn't recommend it to the kid who came to the swap meet. I think he's a few years old. Yeah, there. yeah, prob- I'd imagine so as well. I mean, only because it's I just it's quite involved, isn't it? It's it's um it's not what you'd expect. Yeah. Like you know, that kid and and a great kid that he was, I'd imagine be more into sure. the action, you know, stuff like that. So. And that's fine. Yeah. And that's fine. And the cool thing is about the Invisibles. Once you get to about fifteen, you can really enjoy it. The first volume of the Invisibles is actually a pretty straightforward nar- narrative fiction mm-hmm. with some trippy side elements. It gets more trippy the deeper you get into it, frankly. Okay. And this is probably the trippiest issue of all. Yeah. You know. Well, I think I'm going to start. I'm so, going to have to start yeah. on volume one. I'm just going to have to go through. Start at the start. At the start. Yeah. That's where you've got to start. Yeah, but brilliant. And and I'm assuming again. So again, this is great though because what I I get from from your books, your Isla Ra books is, um, and nothing okay. against the Punisher and all that, but you get that you know that popcorn kind of story with the Punisher, very straightforward, yeah. very cool in its own yeah. elements as well. But you, what you've brought to the table as well is the the Invisibles, yeah. which is okay. a mind blowing. Yeah. Kind of. Um, if I'm going to be on that opus. desert island, dude, I want to have some period where I'm going to trip out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and where Davey's going to have some time to really get lost. <laughs> I think I think uh, the Invisibles will probably do it for you. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, again, it's a it's a five. I'd imagine. It's def- it's a five and a half. Five and a, a half. Five and okay, a half. we've gone trippy here. We've gone above it. Five and a half. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, we've gone way above it. <laughs> Brilliant. And and you mentioned it's funny. You mentioned the stuff about the Matrix, and uh, I'm just flicking through it now as well. And what I like with the um, certain effects that they do with uh, you see it from the Matrix, right? You know the um, you see uh, versions of themselves as they move. If I can, if that makes sense, explain yes, it. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and also a lot of the costumes as well, mm. like a lot of the trench coat look and and all that kind of stuff. Grant Morrison has a really good book that I'd recommend called Super Gods, uh-huh. which is a mixture of autobiography and basically a history of comics, like Western comics. Oh. It's really good. It's called Super Gods, and it, one of the there's lots of cool moments in that book. Like Grant Morrison was a bit of a labour of love, actually, I think, when he wrote it. Like He really spent some time on it. It's a prose book. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, there's one period in it where he said something that I always remembered. I forget how many years. He either said seven or 13 years. Every seven or 13 years, according to him, things fluctuate between really heavy psychedelic 
themes mm-hmm. and then like real bleak modernistic everyone wears black kind of time cycles in, in kind of 13s or 17s mm, right and stuff like that's really cool like for example I read some Grant Morrison stuff back in like the late 80s where people heavily got back into psychedelia and the Beatles were really big at certain points and he wrote Zenith mm-hmm. and then come the Invisibles um, by the end of it in 2000 like there was a really heavy sort of like modernistic black sort of theme and then there was like moments where everyone was into like doing like you know in the 90s like mid 90s everyone was raving and doing stacks of ecstasy yeah. and stuff like that right and like that was a big factor of, of how he wrote the characters at the start of the series like stuff like that like culture cycle mm-hmm. um yeah and so, and so the, the matrix didn't just borrow stuff like the the moving person like a lot yeah. of the uh, visual cues were, were also sort of um, allegedly taken. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Great. No. No. It, uh, yeah. I, it's fantastic read. And um, again, loonies. It's in the show notes. Check it out, kids. Definitely check, check it, it out, out, kids. You know. And Signal of Doom will be doing it soon too. So oh, I'm going to yes. bring Stu into this world. I can't. I, I can't wait to bring Stu into the world of the Invisibles. You know. Probably have to sit him down. He's keen. Right. So. Um, he mentioned just today. He mentioned that he wants to read the Invisibles, yeah. and I've never liked Stu more than when he made. I reckon. I reckon Stu would be. I mean, <laughs> just just listening to Stu and yourself on the signal. Uh, Stu, Stu, yeah. I mean, like, I think he'd really appreciate just the um, the amount of depth that that it, um, the Invisibles. Yeah, he considers, he considers himself the brains of the operation, so I'm sure he will enjoy it. <laughs> I, I sort of need it to be explained to me. I, I, I was reduced to reading the Wikipedia today to explain my own fucking favorite comic. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, it is. There is a level of complexity to it. So, um, yeah, no. Um, yeah, especially when you haven't read it in like ten yeah. years, and you're like, Jesus Christ, who are these characters again? So absolutely, don't blame you there. <laughs> um, and and so now, um, Dave, we've got the final one mm. for you. Uh, and I'd like to yes. actually, if you don't mind, I mean, the Invisibles would have been a bit hard to go through, granted, uh, because of, of the as you as we just explained yes. the story it's just hard uh, yeah there's a lot more of a linear thread here with um, with Sandman yes and so your last Sandman issue 13 issue 13 your last and final Isla Ra yes. book here uh, Dollhouse yes. part 4 uh, I just want to spend a little time talking about the, the front cover and the covers in general they've been um, very sure. uh, synonymous with Sandman I guess um would would you say that photorealistic montage or of um, of images? Yeah, yeah. I, I I mean, I think that that was like when Sandman came out. I was not that I was cool enough to be reading it when it came out, but that was a big part of its appeal. Mm. It definitely had kind of an adult vibe to yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it always seemed like the smart person's comic, and it was it was one of those comics that was handed around in the nineties for a lot for a lot of people who didn't really read comics yeah. and. I hadn't read it until I picked it up, and um, it blew my mind yeah, as a comic. I mean, and I can now I can understand what everyone was you're raving about, you know, yeah, gushing about. Exactly. I mean, yeah. if you do look at the um, the time that it was written as well, I just said you know late eighties and, and through the nineties, and late eighties into about ninety six. Ninety six, yeah. yeah. And and you know, if we are to take broad brushstrokes and talk about the nineties in general as well, I'm going to lean towards uh, Moon Knight again and look at Mark Spector Moon Knight, which was a good run in itself as sure. well, but um, very much. Of its time, yeah. Chuck, Dick, Chuck Dixon wasn't Chuck Dixon, it? Like early he, on, he wrote some yeah, of it. Chuck Dixon, yeah. then Terry yeah. Kavanagh, and then um, J. M. DeMatteis. Oh, J. M. DeMatteis, yeah, good writer. good writer as well. Yeah, so um, I mean, but towards the end as well, with a with a plat on art, there was um, there was a different vibe to the nineties. You know, there was a typical taste in sure. the nineties. 
Um, and with the uh, yeah, guns were big. Guns were big. And, ponytails, um, yeah, bounty hunters were yeah, big. And, you know, ponytails, pouches, pouches, trench coats, all that sort of stuff. Um, and what you're saying, I guess, and it's true with Sandman, it, it kind of um, distances itself from all of that, and it, it really does come across reading it now as quite a timeless piece of um, piece of writing. Um, granted, yes, I would definitely agree. Yeah, granted, issue thirteen is placed um, through centuries of time, so uh, there's always going to be that level there. But yeah, um, to me, exactly as you say, it was a very adult kind of driven. Uh, very intelligent, sensible, uh, oh, not sensible, very um, mature kind of... Sophisticated Sophisticated, really. Yeah, literary. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So um, I don't know if you've got your copy here, Dave, over there. Uh, I have it in front of yes. me. I can, do you want me to give um, the 10 cent pitch? Okay, yeah. so basically in this story, um, it kicks off back in the past, I think around the 1300s at some point, mm-hmm. in, a, in a pub yep. in England. And um, death... Oh, well, Dream, Morpheus, mm-hmm. and Death, both dressed in, in, the, in the manner of the time, back in those yeah, medieval days, right. enter this pub where basically there's banter going on in the pub and pe- think people are talking about the poll tax had been too high, yeah. um, blah, 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 all, all kind of modern events. And there's one guy there called Hob who's just telling people dying's for suckers, basically, <laughs> yeah. is his message. He's saying, you know, die, everyone dies because everyone does it. Like, it's rubbish. Yeah. Death is stupid. I don't want nothing to do with it. And, and now, I'm just sorry, if you can just, we all, just stop you there, Dave, yeah. as well. I found that very, very odd. It actually kind of irked me. Not irked me. It kind of um, disoriented me straight away <laughs> when I read that because it was, really? it was a very strange thing, like, to, you know, to, to bring up, I thought. Um, but you know, as you say, uh, as you well, it's just pub talk, isn't yeah. it? Like pub, you know, people talk shit in the pub all the time <laughs> over a few beers. Yeah, true. Well, I, I think that's kind of all it was. Okay. You know, he was just he's just venting mm. to, to his friends, yeah. and he was just kind of putting himself above the common man, saying he didn't want to die. Yeah. Now it just so happens that death is in the pub, yeah. like with with dream, yeah. and they're sort of talking. As we know, as well as being siblings, they're close friends. Mm-hmm. Um, death and dream, like they're you know very close all throughout the series. And um, they're sort of listening to Hob, and Dream says, it might be interesting. And Death says, very well. Are you going to tell him or shall I? And Dream says, I shall. And basically, he starts talking to the guy, and he says, did did, did I hear you say you never had any intention of dying? And and Hob is like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's a mugs game. I won't have any part of it. And Dream says, well, how about we meet here again, uh, Robert Gadling. It's Hob is what everyone calls him, but his full name is... Mm-hmm. In the Tavern of the White Horse in 100 years. And Hob is like, ha-ha, yeah, sure, why not? And basically, Dream goes his way and Death goes her way. And then a hun- it cuts, mm-hmm. page turn. It doesn't even... I noticed, right, it doesn't even give you 100 it years tell later. You. It just no, page turn. No, it doesn't. Yeah. No. And they're in the pub. Yeah. And you can tell that time has passed because Dream, clothing and stuff... Yeah changes with the time period so in the 90s when Neil Gaiman was writing most of the comic yeah. he's done in kind of I guess you describe him kind of he's dresses, he's, he was designed to look like Neil Gaiman in the 90s yeah. basically yeah. in black kind of cool you know a, a bit goth you could say yeah. you know a little bit alternative <clears throat> but basically just a man of letters yeah. um, and that's and they're, and they're talking and Hobb realises that he can't die yeah. And he has an age. And, and sorry, can I also, and, um, also say as well, Dave? As well, the um, it's it's quite subtle the change of era. Like you, you know, it's yes. about a hundred, but like if you look at the garb and the clothing, it's not drastically yeah. changed. So uh, it, it's very subtle. I found it was really good. 
<coughs> yeah, I mean, the, the change from the 1300s to the 1400s isn't massive, mm. yeah. really. Um, you more notice it in what Dream's wearing. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, and they're still just chatting, really. Like, nothing much has changed. He's talking about... Um, there's a funny part where someone's complaining about chimneys yeah. and how it used to be back better in the day and Hobbs saying, old idiot, I'm telling you, chimneys are brilliant. Yeah. Not having your eyes watering all the time, no freezing from the holes in the wall. Yeah. Like, Hobb really enjoys living. He does. You know, like... He does, and one of, the, one of the big things, I think, with this as well, and it did surprise me going on, was how much he enjoyed keep on uh, staying alive, you know. There is that trope of, of the longer, you know, like the Wandering Jew and, 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 yeah. and all that. Um, Melmoth the Wanderer as well. The longer that you live, uh, the more tragedy you face and, and the more gloomier you get. It seems to be the opposite here. He's really enjoying his time under the sun. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, the deeper we get into it, the thing is he, he has his ups and his yep. downs, but he still wants to live. So anyway, they chat. And um, he says he hopes that they get rid of fleas with any luck <laughs> yeah. next. And so they agree then 100 years? Oh, yes. So flash forward 100 years and now we're in Shakespearean times, literally Shakespearean yeah. times. Shakespeare's in the pub yeah, talking to, oh God, what's the guy's name? Kit? Kit Marlowe, I yeah. think. Another playwright from the time period. Yes. And they're chatting and, and now Dream is very much dressed like um, uh, basically from the Elizabethan times. Yes. And um, it's all a bit more fancy, like the Renaissance, and, and Hobbes in the pub, and he certainly... And Hobbes is very, very respected. He's a knight yeah. now. He's like, Hobb, Faith, that takes me back some few He's years. Got a title. It's Sir Robert Gadling now. Yeah. yeah. Old stranger. And Dream is very kind of nonchalant, isn't he? He's like, you've had good fortune, I take yeah. it. Like, he's very much... Um, Good old dream. He's a bit, always a bit smug. Yeah, over he reminded me. He reminded me a bit of um, Blackadder in the Elizabethan time here. Um, yes. Yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, and so this is probably. I mean, Hobbes just was loving life. He keeps saying it's so damn rich. Like the wine's mm. rich, the food's rich, he's yeah. rich. Um, and there's also for Sandman fans out there. This is the period where um, Neil Gaiman obviously wanted to do something with Shakespeare because Shakespeare turns up a couple of yeah. times in the series. Oh, okay. And Shakespeare's been dreaming of being like the world's biggest playwright, yeah. so uh, Dream kind of gives him that dream in real life, yeah. basically. Um, and he, he, there's a little section where, a little subplot here, where he sort of goes and talks to William Shakespeare by himself because William Shakespeare at the time is kind of a hack playwright yes. who can't even get, you know, and Kit Marlowe, who was very well respected at the time, probably more so than Shakespeare, mm. at least according to this. Um, is kind of critiquing his work yes. and then um, Dream just takes two seconds to go and chat to uh, Shakespeare which is the funny part because that's very much like subplot yeah. here yeah. <laughs> yeah which was fun um, because like we are familiar with the character yeah it was fun yeah. and then we flash forward another hundred years and this is a low point for Hobb and he's actually almost well he's almost barred from the pub yeah. and Dream says no no let him be he's my guest and Dream obviously has some power over people yeah. Um, power of dreams and he lets Hobb through and, and Hobb's like I knew you'd be here do, do you know how hungry a man can get if he doesn't die but doesn't eat yeah um, and basically he's, it was, he was kicked out of his house for being a witch because he didn't die and he got complacent he fought for the king in the parliament's war big mistake he got careless he got soft uh, I've hated every second of the last 80 years every bloody second yeah. do you know that and Dream says and do you still wish to live do you not seek the respite of death and Hobbs like, are you crazy? Death is a mug's yeah. game. I've got so much to live this, for. This was a big turning point <laughs> for me as well because, again, like you're thinking, I thought this is surely the time. And uh, Gaiman turns yep. it on its head 
by having him like they're just the turns it on its the, head. The perfect four panels yep. at the bottom where there's a, a bit of silence from Hob. Yep. And then he just says, "Are you yep. crazy?" Fleas are literally gathering around. Yeah. Him and flies. And he goes, it's a mugs game, and yeah. it's like, oh, this is crazy. But yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Flash forward another hundred years, and now we're in much more refined times. We're getting far closer to the modern day, and um, basically, this is an interesting one. And I wonder how this would uh, rate in today's politically charged climate. Uh, Hob has become a slaver. Oh yeah, and yeah. he's doing very well. He's doing very well for himself. I always found this a very interesting take. Um, I mean, he's very refined and. Yeah. Um, He's saying he saw King Lee yesterday. The, ha- the idiots get- had given it a happy ending, and Dream says that will not last. The great stories will always return to their original forms. Yes. And Dream would know. Yes. Um, and he says that lad, Will Shakespeare, did you some kind of deal with yeah. him, didn't you? What kind of deal? His soul? <laughs> and Dream <laughs> says so nothing crude. so crude. Yeah, very good. Um, he just gave him his dream, I think. Mm. And... There's a, there's a bit of a moment where people try to... There's, there's kind of a moment where people try to stick them up and it's like yep. a, an associate of uh, John Constantine, one of his um, ancestors. Oh, yes. And right. Basically, Dream and uh, dream and Hob escape. Well, not even escape. They just, they they just, just leave. Yeah, dream does, yeah. And then he says... There's a, I, I, there's a very telling comment by Neil Gaiman um, at the end where, where he says... Dream says... It is a poor thing to enslave another. I would suggest you find yourself a different line of business. Yeah, and that and yeah, so that that it, it's uh, addressed by by Dream here. It is addressed. It is addressed. Mm. And flash forward the next hundred years, and oh, this um, is cool. I love this turn of the century. Yeah, Hob. Yeah, Hob. Yeah, Hob has uh, has given up slavery, and, and he's um, what's he doing? Because there was one part where he was doing printing. But I don't know what he's doing now, but he's doing well for himself. Yeah, it was something very uh, innocuous. Uh, what's he doing? Um, just having a look. Yeah, me too. I'm not sure if he mentions it, actually. No? Okay. Well, there's there's something, though, because this is the part where he says... Oh, yeah. The interesting part is suddenly there's a character moment. Because one of the th- things for Dream is he's quite a distant character. Yeah. Like, he actually... Dream makes some very questionable decisions throughout the Sandman run and or has made some in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, that get addressed throughout the run. And this one, Hobbes says, okay, I doubt I'm any wiser than I was 500 years ago. I'm older. I've been up and been down and been up again. Blah, blah, blah. And then he says, um, you're right about the slave trade. I can never make restitution for that. But listen, I've seen people and they don't change. Not any important things. I doubt I'll ever seek death. But then he says, um, you've, you've observed all that. You knew it from the start. I think you're here for something else. Yeah. And Dream's like, what might that be? And Hobbes says, friendship, I think you're lonely. And Dream just gets real kind of like pissed off. He almost looks vampiric in this Mm -hmm. age, you've noticed. He looks kind of like a Dracula figure. And um, like the old school Dracula, you dare call me lonely? And he leaves. And then Hobbes says, I tell you what, I'll be here in a hundred years' time. If you're here then, it's because we're friends, no other reason, right? Yeah. And this is my favourite panel. Uh, it's amongst my favourite pages in all comics, the final page. Yeah, oh, sorry, sorry can the, I just... Um, the now. Sorry, can I just cut yeah. before there as well? So that was a very telling in the sense that um, it was, from, from what I took, yeah, very, uh, a reflection of Hobb himself. He was projecting onto, onto Dream about being lonely and, and yeah. needing friendship. Yeah, which was fantastic. I think yeah. it was a brilliant piece of uh, yeah, writing by Gaiman. It was interesting. Yeah. I mean, it was a stab in the dark, it felt like, from Hobb, mm. but 
then again, but you, you, know, you see, I mean, Dream is turning up as well. Yeah, but you see, his tr- I, I believe it's his true. That's what's been underlying Hob this whole time. Like he's been saying, he's he doesn't doesn't like death, and it's a mug's game, and he'd live forever and ever and ever. But we actually finally see what's getting to him, and I think he himself is lonely, which he kind of projects onto onto Dream. Oh, you think Hobbs alone? Well, I think that's where he got it from. He must have been self-reflecting as well. Yeah, and he probably yeah, finds out. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, really good. Because certainly Dream doesn't give him anything in the panels we've seen to indicate that he's lonely. Yeah, exactly. We know from the comic itself. Yeah. We know from the comic itself that Dream is a distant and difficult yeah. creature at times. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, either way, it works. Mm, mm. But what I love is they cut to like. About, it's about 1990, 91, whatever it <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah. Um, it's full on like, um, it's the last days of Margaret Thatcher. It's a full on like yuppie bar mm, now. Yeah. And and all the, the chat is stuff like about the poll tax. Yeah. Uh, there's stuff about the labour movement died with the miners' strike, very much mirroring um, what they were talking about in the very beginning, yeah. back in the 1300s. No respect for law and order. The doll. Um, yeah. Yeah, the doll, and then and Hobbs there at the table looking lots like Mister Yuppie, yeah. nineteen ninety, yeah. um, smoking a little cigarette with his little fucking craft beer, <laughs> and then um, and then upturns the Neil Gaiman version mm. of Dream, kind of modernised for yeah, the time period. Look at the hair. Um, <laughs> and Hobbs like, I wasn't sure you'd be coming, and Dream, who's got basically got spiked out <laughs> yeah, hair, exactly. says, "Really." Yeah. I've always thought it was impolite to keep one's friends waiting. Would you like a drink? And I think it shows the fact that Dream himself has loosened up over that time period. Yeah, I, I believe so. Um, and I, I think also in that statement as well, it shows a little bit of compassion that Dream has for, for Hob. Yes. Um, uh, basically validating to Hob in an indirect way that, yeah, look, you, you wanted a friend. Um, and so, what does he say? I've always heard it was impolite to keep one's friends waiting. So, I think he did it in a very discreet way. It was kind of like saying, yeah, yeah, I know you're lonely. I'm your friend. And I think that was really good. That's how I saw it. No, that, well, I agree. I think that that's, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's the reading. Mm. I mean, yeah, that was a, it's a, I, I think it's a yeah. fascinating comic. Like, and the first time I read it, which is why I selected mm. it, um, it really made an impression on me. It's just a particularly good comic. And I've seen this done in other comics, but never done as well as this, maybe because Neil Gaiman did it first. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, I mean, he just did it very well. Yeah. I, I think this is an excellent comic. Um, and the Sandman uh, franchise has a lot of highlights. Like It probably has about seven issues that are particularly good, and this is definitely one yeah, of them. Yeah, and as we talked about the art before and what I said before as well, I, I really do think... This is a prime example of how the art really complements the sort of storytelling that he wants to give. Um, not not in just the fact that oh it's a, it's a pretty bit of art and it, you know it just does the job. I think that it, it really conveys um, that um, their atmosphere in those times. Like we're spanning hundreds of years here, and even at the last page yeah. with the uh, in the nineties, I love the the use of color sure. and the and the background that is just basically sketched. You know, and then you're highlighted with Hob at the foreground with, with a bit of you know conventional color, mm-hmm. uh, and then you have um, yeah, just just the use of um, these like crimsons and and, uh, and pinks for it. Uh, it gives it a, a slight sense of modern compared to the, the other day, uh, not the other days, the other pages. It's slightly cleaner it's slightly in cleaner. look, it's slightly yeah. a cleaner look. Really? Yeah. But I, no, I, I agree that the the artist has done a fantastic job in conveying different emotions and moods. Yeah. 
in basically the same setting. Mm. You know, it's yeah. basically a very enclosed comic inside a, inside inside a bar. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, as you're talking, Ray, I'm, I'm flicking backwards through the comic, yeah. and it really is quite startling the number of changes. And Absolutely, dream is actually the thing that changes the most. Well, he's he's kind of like well. he's kind of like our anchor, isn't he? So we latch onto him because yeah. uh, he sticks out because of his pale skin. But his attire is really what is the avatar, which really makes us know where we where we stand. Um, but really beautiful stuff, and. And again, look, um, Gaiman is not afraid to obviously write a lot of text, but in no way did I ever feel uh, bogged down by the text. It was at no. a synon- like it just it just proves how good a writer like you can be. Where it just he's a very graceful yeah. and gifted writer, Neil Gaiman. Yeah, and there, there yeah. is a level of. Um, have you ever read his book, uh, The Ocean at the End of the Lane? No, I've read uh, I've read his other like Neverwhere and, and and all that. The Anansi Gods or something. American, American Gods. Gods as well. Yeah, uh, they've American Gods and yeah, American Gods is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, the Ocean at the End of the Lane is also really good. Right. Okay. Okay. Is that is is oh. it? Sci- there's a there's a scene in the Ocean at the End of the Lane where um he basically re- references the period he was writing Sandman. And about how he goes back to this witch at the end of it. Right. She says, "You came here, you know, when you were younger. You came here in your twenties, when you were when you were lost in your dreams mm-hmm. and writing about your dreams." And like he references that it's a very powerful book, actually. Oh, fantastic! Um, I, I think Neil Gaiman, in some ways, is kind of a magician the way he writes. I think he's a very graceful and gifted writer. Oh yeah, he's one of the you know? he's one of the um, one of my um, go to authors to, to read books. Uh, I know that I'm going to yeah. enjoy a book from him. Um, yeah, he's got he's yeah. got a level of it's not um, overblown, but he's got a level of uh, lyricism to him as well, um, as well as you know, yeah, definitely putting all the structure in the story. Um, as you say, it flows, and his language is really really nice to um, to read. He's written some beautifully written. I'm not a huge short story guy, but I, I was on a train once and I picked up one of his books just for the train ride. Yeah. It's called I think it was called Fragile Things. Yeah. Some fantastic short stories, oh, and yeah. and I'm not a short story guy, but he just so good, oh, really. Actually, like, I the stuff that yeah. stuff that makes you think. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, you still there? Yeah. I'm oh, here. yeah. Sorry. Um. Yeah. Exactly. Just uh, you reminded me. I did read a lot of short stories of his as well. One of my favourites, and you'll appreciate this, Dave, because uh, I think you own a cat as well. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Do. What's I the do. name of Definitely. the little fella? Wade. 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 Ah. After, after Deadpool. <laughs> okay, very cool. Um, look, I had, and he's crazy. Yeah, I'd imagine. Well, name Wade. Um, but there's a short story by Neil Gaiman I love. It's called Black Angel, I think. And it's about um, a family who has a black cat. And the cat, you know, obviously comes uh, inside every evening. It's got some scratches and stuff. And the family think it's just... Um, the cat, you know, fighting other neighbouring cats. But what Gaiman does, he turns it on its head sure. and he um, describes it. The cat is actually warding off demons um, uh, and, and evil spirits. And, the, and it's really, really noble and really cool to think that your little cat is going out there to actually protect the family and its members. And, and so, yeah, anyway, it was a short story, very well yeah. written. Um, and, yeah, so... I wish I wish Wade would do anything so noble, but he would never yeah, would. Probably, uh, yeah, probably. Probably not as noble as uh, the uh, Black Angel. Wade, Wade dreams of catching a bird. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, I think reality. But I agree. I mean, he's got he's got so many good stories. There's a really good Neil Gaiman story I always remember. I think it's it's about Susan, 
um, from the Narnia okay. books, and it's kind of from her perspective uh, in like the 1950s, long after the um, original boys and girls in the household have been killed in the train at the end of the Narnia series. Okay. And gone to heaven, whereas she's been left behind and she's like an old lady now. Oh. Um, it's chilling. It's quite chilling. He's quite capable of sitting a chill down your spine, Neil Gaiman. He's, yeah. he's very, very, very gifted. Um, yeah, very good. As a writer. Yeah. And to be honest, has lasted a long time. A lot of people come and go, but he's lasted since the late 80s doing this yeah. to now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. And, he, and he's, he's, uh, he's had staying power. Yeah, he's been lucky enough to have his stuff adapted as well on, on the screen and... Um, I think most recently... Good Omens American... is coming out shortly. Good, Good Omens is stuff he did with... Um, uh, t- uh, is it, what's the guy's name? Um, oh God, I forget the guy's name now. I'm sorry. Oh, my apologies. Oh, but there's a very famous British writer that he collaborated with. who, who uh, Terry Pratchett. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, they did a book called Good Omens. It's now been made into a TV show, oh, along with American Gods. Uh, so it's also made into a TV show. Yeah, so it's great that he's got so much success because it's well deserved. I mean, he yeah, as you say, he's oh, one definitely. of the one of the good writers. So Looney's, um, if like this wasn't proof enough, um, Sandman alone is something worth checking out, uh, and we're lucky enough to have definitely. a large collection. And uh, it's been re- rebooted or reignited again um, in DC, right? Uh, yes, he came back uh, oh, a couple of years ago now, Sandman Overture, mm-hmm. which basically is sort of a prequel and a sequel to the series. I'd still read the normal series first. Yep. Yeah, read, read the normal 75 issues, I believe it's 75 issues, yep. um, first. Yep. They're all very easily collected in trade paperbacks, and there's very, I've got it collected like three different ways, right? I've got digital, <laughs> yep. and I've got the two Sandman omnibuses, and I've got the just the trade paperbacks. Um, and however you read it, you, I'm, I'm sure that if you like that kind of style, you'll love it. it yeah. There's a lot there for readers to enjoy. Yeah, fantastic. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And and we'll put that on again in the show notes as well. And uh, and Dave, uh, you and Stu will be reviewing it, I'm sure, sometime on the signal. Uh, yeah, Stu, just just tonight, um, probably feeling the heat that I'm getting now that you know I'm becoming kind of internet famous, and, you know, <laughs> getting on shows like Into the Night. He's he's starting to jostle because he wants Sandman and Invisibles to get him to the, to the top of the queue. And I and I said, awesome. Stu, I agree with you 100%. And he doesn't hear that very often. <laughs> <laughs> He'll take it when he gets it. Yeah, absolutely. He will. He sure will. Oh, and uh, again, um, um, so yeah. Sorry, Dave. Oh no! I was going to say. Well, thank you for this opportunity, Ray. I've really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you um, so much. And I hope people um, like my like my recommendations. And I do want to say um, this: there's no such thing as like a perfect kind of comic for everyone. Like, these of are just my kind of personal best of kind yeah. of thing. You oh, know what I mean? like I just want to put that out there. Of, you know? of course. And I think you mentioned that to me before. And, and like I said, I think the beauty of actually um, engaging with so many different loonies and and uh, podcasters like yourself is to see the variety out there to see what people like and as you say um, what you see is like everyone loves different things you know and and that's the beauty of it and um just, I think that's really cool, actually. Mm, yeah, just really good to just to see. And and if it piques an interest to anyone out there, then so be it. And and off you go. Be that little boy at the comic swap meet and start picking up your Sandman or your yeah. Invisibles, and and off you go. And uh, all the best to it. So, Dave, thank you so much uh, for coming on uh, once again, guys. Dave's uh, on Signal of Doom with Stu, a weekly Check it out. comic book podcast. We're going global. We're going global. The uh, the <laughs> Signal and Dave is expanding. <laughs> Across the uh, the podcasting is fantastic, the world and everything in it. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dave. Um, I hope you've enjoyed uh, the Grant Mansion and, of course, the Punisher safe house or the armory we're sti- we still are here it's been an absolute thrill I've got a feeling that Marlene's probably approaching the safe house now for a little rendezvous and I say more power to her uh, yeah exactly um, just 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 quickly um, so Looney's uh, next phase just check the over the moon newsletter for, for that um, and that will show you what we'll be up to in the next issue uh, also we can be contacted on itkmoonnight at gmail.com uh, handle at Twitter, ITK Moon Knight, uh, and on Facebook, we have a page, facebook.com slash ITK Moon Knight, and our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash ITK Moon Knight. We're also on Instagram, Tumblr, YouTube, just search for Into the Night, as well as You're all... just everywhere. Yeah, as well as all good <laughs> podcast catches. Oh, this is the spiel that we always always have to do. Uh, but anyway... I'm taking notes. <laughs> But loonies, uh, yeah, just check us out. Drop us a line. Uh, tell your friends it's all good. And check out Signal of Doom. Um, oh, yeah, think... hit, hit like on Facebook. That's that. You know, that's what it comes down to for us. Yeah, hit like on Facebook. Yeah. Um, and we're also on YouTube. So just just focus on those two. You don't need to remember all this Instagram stuff. Just focus on those two. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And hey, look, as long as you you connect up with Signal of Doom, it's all good. Oh, uh, Dave, my I've... monthly tie. So, you know, I you know I, I have a monthly tie to, to do members. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your firstborn. Your firstborn. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Well. Oh, I, I think I hear the roller shutter coming up. Oh, there's uh, there's Frank. Uh, how you going, Frank? Sorry, we. Uh... Oh. Hey, Frank. Oh, <laughs> he, he's a bit testy. Uh, I think we better get out of here before he uh, he wipes the floor with us. Uh, thanks once again, Dave. Thank you, Ray. And bye-bye, Frank. <laughs> and as we always say, may come free. Watch over the citizens of the night. Catch you later. Moon Knight and affiliated characters, stories and events are properties of Marvel Characters Incorporated. Materials used and discussed within the podcast are intended for critique and review purposes only under the fair dealing concept of the current Copyright Act. The views, information or opinions expressed during the podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the copyright owners.